You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since All right, everybody, welcome to the GGTMC. We are back and ready to go. It's Todd and Sammy here with you. We're going to have some fun this week. I don't think we realize, as we sometimes do the show over the years, we've talked about how we pick a couple films and we find out that there's a common theme. And uh, this week uh, we picked a couple films and uh, uh, sexuality and uh, sexual deviancy tend to uh, seem to be a theme. Uh, which probably a theme on a lot of our shows. Huh? <laughs> I think that's the theme of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, here we go. Yeah. So uh, this week we're doing um, Shivers from 1975, directed by David Cronenberg. And you know, I was looking through Cronenberg's filmography. We have covered a lot of Cronenberg. Yeah, I was uh, I was thinking that myself actually when uh, when I started watching this. I was like, wow, we're we're getting back to the the beginning of the end here. Hey, yeah, him. <laughs> I know. It's just like, uh, you know, I mean, and and to be honest with you, I'd cover some of the other ones too so i wonder if that's sure. you know by the time we're done here if and when that ever might be you know if we don't end up with uh cronenberg's whole filmography covered on the show and <laughs> i did not expect that to be honest with you but uh well, I was there's just a couple looking. in there that i would like to avoid myself but. yeah 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 i can see that but uh there's certainly a couple in there that are definitely still more some ggtmc material no doubt oh yeah yeah big time <laughs> Um, and we're also doing uh, another GGTMC favorite, Mr. Ken Russell's Lair of the White Worm, Lair of the White, White Worm. Worm, yeah, White Worm, uh, 1988, uh, which has some seriously Ken Russell moments in it, uh, <laughs> and we'll talk about that, uh, in a little bit, but yeah, this is, uh, fun to, uh, masters in my opinion, uh, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, and. Uh, it's always fun to talk about directors like these. These, uh, I guess you could argue, transgressive uh, directors, right? I mean, these guys. Are, uh, very much so. Yes. Yeah. These guys not are always quite pushing to the boundaries. level of uh, like a Mike, but no, no, not uh, or uh, what's his, uh, Buck Wright. But the good right. But it's uh, the uh, you definitely the type of filmmakers I know that me personally that I enjoy and. Uh, 
you know, I've often said that Cronenberg is a filmmaker that actually gets under my skin. No pun intended, mm. but he's a, <laughs> he's always he's always uh, both uh, enticed me and repulsed me. Uh, yes, all in good ways. And then Russell's just, uh, you know, I, I just love I love insanity on film, and uh, <laughs> he's pretty close to it in some ways. Yeah, he's certainly that. Yeah, <laughs> I always enjoyed that. So anyway, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, let's get into what we've been watching and, uh, we'll rock and roll on those after we get done with that. What have you been up to? Wicked. Uh, a couple, two, three things. Um, so I did a rewatch of his girl Friday again. Uh, I think I, it was only a couple of weeks ago that I watched it. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's one of those movies, but I, you know, I got to the, uh, the criterion disc, uh, in my uh, to watch pile and I was like okay you're going on and it went on and it's still you know fantastic one of my favorite Hawks movies uh, favorite screwball comedies all of that fun stuff uh, if you haven't seen it and uh, I mean you're really doing yourself uh, a disservice and that's all that I'm going to say about it um, and then I went over to a watch first time watch of uh Jared Hess's Masterminds from 2016. Oh, yes. And, and uh, I was scratching my head as to why I had put this in my Netflix queue in the first place. Oh. Um, and it turns out it's because I wanted to just kind of check in and see what Jared Hess uh, is up to. And it turns out that I really didn't need to know uh, what Jared Hess was up to uh, because I really didn't like this thing. Yeah. Um, it is... It's basically trying to ape uh, sort of that raising Arizona kind of um, kind of thing with like that white trash comedy, uh, but it, it lacks the uh, the wit of the Cone Brothers, the talent of the Cone Brothers, the talent of the people on screen in raising Arizona. Uh, and these are all actors that I, I like. Well, uh, a couple actors that I like, and you know, I could do without Zach Galifianakis, but that's a personal thing. Um, I had a very similar experience this week. I only watched one thing, but I'll talk about it here in a little bit. A <laughs> good deal. This is uh, uh, this is interesting. You go in checking in on a director. I did the same thing this week. Yeah, it's not always a good thing. You don't. <laughs> no, no. There might Sometimes be a reason why you just let him fade away. Yeah, some, there might be a reason why you walked away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this thing, yeah, I just I didn't care for it. I didn't think it was funny. It's uh, you know a blunt instrument all the way through. Um, yeah. I mean, it's such a cartoon. It's not even funny. Uh, and I mean, there were, there were, I think, out of the entire movie, maybe two moments that I actually chuckled at, uh, and that was about it. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, unless he really does something that captures my uh, my interest, uh, I'm pretty much done with uh, Mr. Hess for now. Whatever he does, somebody will have a funny haircut. Exactly. Oh yeah, and the Prince Valiant is rocking hard in this thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he I, I don't know what that he loves fascination wigs. is, but yeah, he's got some kind of weird hair thing. Yeah, right. I wish I did. Um, <laughs> so I did that, uh, and I went to the Criterion Channel uh, because I had to justify spending however much I spend on that a year. Um, and I, uh, I watched a little movie called Bacurau from 2019 and made in Brazil. Uh, this thing was, um, it's interesting, uh, because it kind of, it, it kind of is this like 
almost like a National Enquirer kind of thing, and it's just weird. I mean, it's set like a little bit in the future, but not too far in the future, and it's very, um, it's very politically and racially charged, but at the same time, it's really enjoyable. Uh, and it's interesting just to watch this this small community, uh, extraordinarily tight knit uh, small community, deal with this these weird things that are uh, that are happening around them. I, I'm I'm not going to say any more than that because that would give it away. Uh, but when when everything starts to uh, to actually happen, it just it makes sense and it's it's actually really satisfying in a lot of ways. And it's gory as fuck in, uh, in certain spots. Um, so yeah, a hell of a lot of credit for that. Uh, and it's well acted. It's it looks beautiful. Uh, but it's it's definitely not for everybody because it is so, the tone is so odd and it doesn't um, it doesn't really stick to having a traditional like uh, hero figures and things like that. Um, so I could see some people being put off by. I mean, if you just read the um, if you just read the uh, the log line uh, for it, uh, you might be a little more enticed than. Uh, then you probably should be, but you know, bear in mind that this is on the Criterion Channel, so you know there's got to be a little bit uh, underneath there that you know as to why they would have it in the first place. Uh, but it's definitely worth seeing. Uh, I would 100% recommend it to people, uh, and it is on there. I don't know. How, I don't know for how much longer. I, I don't know if they're going to put out a physical copy. I couldn't say. Um, but it's yeah, it's on there, and it's a definite recommend on that. Um, brings me to 1917 uh, from Mr. Sam Mendez. And this thing uh, is amazing, um, just in the, the technical achievement alone. Uh, again, another movie that looks absolutely phenomenal, which is not really a surprise because it's Roger Deakins. But at the same time, uh, the movie just flows insanely well. Um, I mean, there was stuff that had me, you know, crawling up on the, on the couch there. Uh, cause you don't know what's going to happen next. And it, this thing pulls absolutely no punches, uh, and it's, uh, in its depictions, there's no, you know, it doesn't play favorites. Uh, and it, uh, it definitely, you know, it's definitely a war movie. Um, it doesn't really glorify anything. Uh, and you know, it feels at the end, you feel a, a massive amount of relief in a lot of ways. I would compare it to the sort of, um, two hours of tension that you get from something like uh, uncut gems uh which i also you know loved um but yeah this thing was this thing was really 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 impressive um so yeah there was that and let's see here it's one that uh still haven't seen it's on the uh, back burner as everything in my life is yeah right uh <laughs> but dude it's it's i i was i was i was expecting you know, good, even very good. But this thing, I was really impressed, like right. heavily impressed with this thing. Right. Um, and then you get to ooh, a rewatch of Terry's Wigoff's ghost world from 2001. Uh, man, I don't think I've watched this since it came out. Uh, but again, uh, the criterion was there on the to watch pile. So it got watched and, um, yeah, uh, I remember everything that I loved about this thing. Uh, I love Zwigoff as a director. He's an interesting guy. And uh, he tends to have certain themes uh, that he uh, he comes crawling back to every time. And I'm okay with that. And he's, uh, I mean, this thing is great. It's got this, one of the things that I, I find interesting about the movies that uh, the main character, the Thor Birch character, um, she's like this, she's kind of this annoying hipstery kind of chick. 
Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, the movie's kind of picking at that kind of person. Mm. So it's, you know, you know, yeah. she's supposed to be the protagonist, but at the same time, she's the douche that we're supposed to be kind of, you know, yeah. that well, kind of thing. It's both celebrating and. Exactly. And taking it down a peg yep. uh, across the board. Uh, and it's really well made, really, really well made. And it, it goes along nicely. It feels nice. Uh, the characters you actually are interested uh, in, in all of them, in fact. And even the uh, the relationship with her and uh, Buscemi, I mean, yeah, it's inappropriate, I guess. Um, but I mean, is she at the a, same time, it doesn't it doesn't really come off as creepy. Yeah, I can't remember. Is she a, an adult or is she? Well, she's she's a, a high school graduate, so oh, okay, yeah, so uh, eighteen, let's say. Yeah, let's say yeah. Um, so it would be judged either way, but I mean, sure. Yeah, I remember thinking that at the time. Um, this is pushing some boundaries because people were already very touchy about things like that. But yeah, yeah. Well, this does that. It, it does this with that. It does this with the with race in, in certain ways. Yeah. Uh, with the certain point of the plot, which I'm not going to get into right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ileana Douglas is fantastic in this thing. Yeah. Uh, everybody is really, uh, and you know, it's always fun to to see. Uh, uh, what's her face? Uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, at like 15 years old. Yeah. Uh, getting on screen for the first time, uh, and you can see exactly why uh, why she's gone as far as she has. Because you know, even back here, she's got a massive amount of talent, and it shows on screen. And the camera absolutely fucking loves her. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was really really good. I was glad I watched it. And I watched this this time. I watched it with the commentary. Uh, the commentary, I should say, is kind of sparse and not really all that insightful. But at the same time, it was it was nice to listen to. Uh, for a few uh, tidbits here and there, it's got uh, clothes, wig off, um, and uh, I believe one of the producers—I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Um, so yeah, uh, Ghost World. There you go. Another recommend. Uh, pick that there Criterion if you get the opportunity. And then I kind of rounded it all off with Watch of Good Boys from 2019, and this is pretty much super bad with uh, 11-year-olds, uh, more or less, and. Um, it was uh, good. Uh, it's you know it, it's endearing enough. Uh, the kids are you know likable enough. They certainly have very um, defined parameters. Uh, and uh, I mean, yeah, coming from uh, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, uh, you know, should, really shouldn't be much of a surprise to anybody um, how this thing plays out in any way, shape, or form. Um, but it was good, uh, you know, not great. And, you know, by the time you get to the end, you're kind of like, you're kind of thinking to yourself, was it all worth it? Because I think it, it tries to be a little more impactful or insightful than uh, I think it really ever is or was or was going to be. Uh, and I think it, you know, kind of tries to have its, it, well, I'll put it this way, its reach exceeds its grasp, I think, in certain ways. Um because you kind of get to the end and you're like, wait, that this is what the journey was for. Uh, so, um, but yeah, no, it was good. It was fun, and it has a it has a decent amount of funny stuff in there. Uh, I keep thinking of the one scene where the, the kid starts puking for no reason. Uh, but uh, nice. anyway, uh, that's all that I got, buddy. Nice a little short week there, but yeah, yeah. I didn't have much short time to for watch. Me, yeah. yeah, I didn't have much time to watch anything either. Really, to be honest with you, I didn't watch. Uh, I don't even think I caught up on any of my television this week. I just didn't have time. Well, I start. I did start watching. I I started watching uh, A Wilderness of Errors mm. on uh, FX, mm-hmm. 
and I, it's just not for me, uh, because just because I didn't, I don't particularly find the, the story all that compelling. However, I will say this about that. Um, you know, it's a, it's almost a documentary on Errol Morris. If it was made by Errol Morris and it wasn't made by Errol Morris, made by uh, Smerling, I think Jack Smerling. Uh-huh. I don't remember his first name off the top of my head, but it, it reeks of Errol Morris influence. Um, but maybe not, uh, not at the level that uh, Morris plays at, I think. Yeah, okay. uh, so yeah. it's still good. Uh, and I think that, you know, if you're interested in the, uh, the McDonald uh, murders, you'll get a lot out of this. Cause I mean, obviously it's a documentary series, so it's going to take a while for them to get through everything. But at the same time, I just, eh, it just didn't, uh, didn't hook me. Like I would have liked it to uh, outside of uh, the technical aspects, which I, like I said, are pretty much aping Morris like in front of his face. So, yeah. yeah. But I did have an interesting experience this week. I did. Um, I I got the uh, a demo disc of Mallrats uh, from hmm. Arrow. A lot of people did uh, that are, that are on that mailing list. And I got the demo disc, and so I didn't watch the movie. I just kind of looked through some things on it and stuff and anything. And and you know, of course, it gave me a taste for Kevin Smith's brand of humor. Now, I've always, I've often said that I enjoy everything. I don't know if I've often said it, but I do enjoy. Clark Small Rats, uh, Chase and Amy, and uh, Dogma, and I like the first two. Yeah, and even um, um, Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back doesn't drive me crazy. Although I do think that's where things start to go off the rails uh, a little bit. And he's tried other things over the years that I found interesting. Um, I didn't think Jersey Girl was a complete travesty. It was fine. Uh, I didn't think uh, Red State was bad. I enjoyed that. Uh, Tusk was, was okay. interesting and strange. Uh, you know, would I watch it again? No, but Tusk is fucking bizarre <laughs> in a way that I I can see where it could become a cult movie. And then for some reason, I kept going back. I you know I can't I, yeah it's hard to believe this, but I went back and watched. Uh, you know, I, I ended up watching Yoga Hosers, and I was like, oh, this is maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's close to up there. It's pretty bad. And, uh, so, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to go back and see any more Kevin Smith stuff, but of course, like all things, um, I was got a little taste. I was like, well, maybe I'll just watch Mallrats. rats. And I was like, well, he made that Jane Silent Bob reboot. I think that's on prime. I think I'll check that out. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, similar to your Jared Hess experience, uh, my, Kevin Smith experience was the same. I find it interesting that he is given the funds to basically film like, you know, like just some type of reunion. Like it's, it's just like a total nostalgia trip and he's allowed to do that. And, uh, and I also find it interesting that there's people out there that enjoy this thing. I'm not, not, I would never judge anybody. Don't get me wrong. Teach their own. Right. Um, you know, one, one person's, uh, poison is another person's whatever. Uh, I, I would never judge that because, you know, uh, I certainly like some things people hate, but well, well, I, the way that I always put it is, listen, you could do whatever you want. You could like whatever you want, but don't expect me to like it too. And don't expect mm-hmm. me to be silent uh, yeah, necessarily yeah. about that. Cause yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, a lot of it is love of Smith and, you know, right. I, you know, I, I enjoy listening to Kevin Smith talk sometimes and I've gotten kind of yeah. tired of him over the years because his, you know, his stick wears thin after a while, but. Yeah, you know, I watched this, and I, I kind of was watching. I was taking the kind of approach of, you know, maybe he's trying to, I don't think this, I'm giving him way too much credit here, but I'm thinking, you know, he's trying to do like an Abbott and Costello for the 
modern era or something like that. But that's not really it at all. It's really just his way of kind of doing his thing. And it's probably funny to him and his friends. Mm. And uh, there are a few good moments in the movie, uh, no doubt. The, the Ben Affleck moment isn't bad that people have talked about where he plays uh, the character he played from Chase and Amy. And uh, there's some other little nice cameos. I'm not going to lie. It was nice to see a few folks. Um, but, man, uh, awkward and embarrassing really? is really the word I would use to, watch, uh, to describe this movie. And like in a in a well, in what kind of way would you say? It's just very amateurish too. I mean, it just okay. It's just not much of a movie to me. I mean, it's it's supposed to be okay, a road okay. movie, and when it starts to get road movie like, it just turns into another Kevin Smith movie. Right, right. Like I said, there's a few funny moments in it, but it's just it's really reaching for stuff and. Mm-hmm. uh what it feels like, and uh, I think this is really probably what, why it was made, it feels like a movie made by somebody that uh, almost died and uh, wanted to get the band back together for one last hurrah. Okay. <laughs> and that's uh, probably the reason why it was made. And he's allowed to do that in public, whereas some people aren't allowed to do that. But, I mean, and that's fine. It is what it is. But I just, I don't know, man. It's a it's a total mess. Is it as bad as Yoga Hosers? I don't think anything could be. <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen Yoga Hose. I pretty much I've I've dabbled uh, in Smith's filmography. I think that I mean yeah, Clerks and Mallrats I liked, uh, and then Dogma I watched and I was like, what is this fucking shit? And I was yeah. I kind of wa- I washed my hands at that point. Yeah. Uh, and I've gone back here and there. I watched uh, Clerks two, um, which I wasn't overly impressed with. No. I have. Um, I've seen that as well. And, uh, and uh, you know, all the Jay and Silent Bob stuff I've skipped because those two characters have never been an appeal to me in any way, shape, or form to begin with. Yeah. Um, well, you certainly would not and, like and this Red one. State, Red State I liked, but I thought that it flubbed the ending. Uh, yeah, so that was actually a, that was actually a solid little piece that he that he did there, kind of a blip uh, on the screen. But other than that, it's been a flat line for me from, yeah. uh, you know, like the early 90s or mid-90s uh, yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, as far as I'm concerned with his stuff. But I, I, I do kind of, I like the guy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's one of us, right? I mean, he's a comic yeah, book guy. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, uh, no pun intended, he's a, uh, you know, a uh, pop culture guy. I mean, he's he's one of us. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I enjoy interviews with him. I enjoy listening to him talk, you know, and he uh, he's a good guy that way. But, yeah, his his films are a struggle sometimes. Mm, and, mm-hmm. I just don't. I just don't understand it. Uh, it's funny with Red State. I remember thinking, okay, well, maybe he doesn't know it, but maybe he's a different filmmaker than he thinks he is. And I thought maybe he would pursue that more. And I thought with Tusk, he was trying, and he certainly tried a little bit. It's kind of Tim Burton esque in a way, because you know Tim Burton's very was an important filmmaker for him uh, growing up. Although I think him and Tim Burton have had words over the years, but yeah, because I think they didn't get along on that Superman thing they were trying to work oh, on together. the superman uh yeah <laughs> returns or whatever yeah <laughs> uh you know but anyway i just i don't know it's just uh you know i i wonder if i i'm guessing at this point considering how many of his films i've seen i'm guessing i will probably keep going back but unlike jared hess who i gave up off uh gave up on after gentleman broncos i think mm. i think that was the last one i watched of his i think that was him and see that one i actually kind of like i do too that one's bizarre 
But even then, I was like, you know what? I've had my fill because that's the only. Right. I'll be honest with you, that and certain aspects of Nacho Libre are the only thing I like. I don't. I haven't I'm, seen Nacho Libre. I'm not a Napoleon uh, Dynamite kind of guy, so fair enough. I, I don't. Uh, it just doesn't work for me, and I, I think that's you know Jared Hess. And I think Kevin Smith's become that kind of filmmaker. I mean, either you like him or you're just like, you know, I don't understand what's going on. But I think also as film lovers, you, me, and the people that probably listen to this podcast will probably always, you know, check these things out, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of go back. So it's kind of an, like I said, kind of a mirrored experience to your Jared Hess experience. It's like, eh, I don't know if I'll watch any more Kevin Smith, but knowing <laughs> me, I probably will. <laughs> yeah yeah at some point you're just kind of like well you know it's like every time that i go back to like escape from la yeah yeah that's another good example it can't be it can't be as shitty as i think it is it can't be it can't be and then i watch it like fuck yeah it's uh pretty rough oh my god i remember seeing that one in the movie theater oh yeah and being with uh, some buddies and we were like yeah man snake bliskin's back and you know we had watched then you got done with it. And you're like, no, he's not. Yeah, because I had the uh, laser disc player back then, and I, I popped in Escape from New York. We watched Escape from New York, and then that night we went and saw Escape from LA. And uh, yeah, talk about two different movies. <laughs> oh, huge. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Sometimes sequels not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll argue for some aspects of Escape from LA, but. Uh, not on this show, I won't. <laughs> and, and not right now. Too deep a conversation. Right, right, um, right. But that's all I watched. I didn't watch any TV or anything and just didn't really get into much this week. It's been a busy week, so there we go. Uh, all right, we're going to take a – it's funny. I watched the movies that for the show very early in the week and thought I got all kinds of time, and then I didn't watch anything else really. <laughs> so that's the way it works. I felt like I watched something else, but I, I, I do not recall anything else. I'm trying to think of anything, but – I cannot think of anything. Anyway, who cares? Hmm. Uh, we're going to take a short break, though. We're going to come back and discuss some Cronenberg. We'll uh, come back and talk about Shivers. We'll be back right after this. some uh dio for all you dio lovers out there dude how fucking low are they tuned down <laughs> what are they all the way down they're like gee yeah it's a kind of a fun uh late school dio song there got the horror elements and then you know got some love elements in there you'll make me shiver 
Yeah, that opening, uh, <laughs> that opening riff there. All I could envision was uh, bandanas tied to a microphone stand. That's right. <laughs> Although that's totally not really Dio's thing at all. <laughs> not his thing at all. But hey, it's okay. He did like he likes to wear dragons some, and shit. Yeah, he did. He did like them uh, Renaissance shirts. He did. <laughs> <laughs> if there was if there was a metal guy that you would expect to see at a Ren fair, it's Ronnie James. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, <laughs> fun song. Maybe people will listen to that a little bit as they uh, ride around their cars. I mean, in their, uh, yeah, get the T-tops down. Get the, yeah, man, crank it up and rip uh, the knob off. That's right. Um, our first film is Shivers. Uh, that's the name of that Dio song as well. Uh, 1975. Uh, directed by one David Cronenberg. This is his uh, what he considers his first kind of official film. He had made a couple of films before this. Uh, Crimes of the Future, I believe, and Stereo. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, which we almost covered stereo. I think stereo might be his very first thing, or I, don't, I can't remember. Anyway, I can't remember which one is which. No, uh, but he kind of considers this his first kind of full blown uh, uh, attempt at commercial filmmaking, mm-hmm. and um, so this is going way back. Um, but all the Cronenberg things you've come to know and love are here right from the beginning. And uh, I'll give you a basic plot synopsis here: the residents of a suburban high rise apartment. Building are being infected by a strain of parasites that turn them into mindless, sex-crazed fiends out to infect others by the slightest sexual contact. So this is uh, Cronenberg doing Cronenberg things and having some fun with uh, sexually transmitted disease. Yeah, and, he loves uh, his STDs. Yeah, and uh, just things that uh, make you feel yucky, which is mm. what he's really good at. Mm-hmm. But he never makes you it's he's always been to me a very interesting filmmaker because he takes a really, I think, mature approach to what potentially could be immature things. Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would so, agree with that. This is kind of a fun one. It's got uh, Paul Hampton in it. It's got uh, Joe Silver, Joe Silver back on the show. Good old Joe yep. Silver. Playing Rolo Linsky. What a great name. That's a great name. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. We got Lynn Lowry in here and we got Barbara Steele. And a few other uh, Cronenberg-type uh, actors uh, pop in now. Yeah. But this is early, very early in his uh, career. And, um, yeah, man, Vestron, just video, uh, the collector's edition, they just put out a, a very low-cost uh, uh, Blu-ray. It's on, I think it's on like 1079 right now. Um, it's, and, and I jumped on a pre-order of this thing for like 12 bucks. So it's a little cheaper than what I pre-ordered it for. But that's, that's the game you play. But... Um, I'm glad I did because it looks really nice and, you know, I got shivers in a nice special edition Blu-ray with some David Cronenberg commentary who's great. He's great at commentary. And, uh, yeah, so uh, let's get into it, man. I don't know when's the last time you saw this or if you ever have. Oh, I've seen it multiple times, yeah. Um, Last time I saw it would have been a few years back, I think. Uh, It's been a little while anyway. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, this is one of the ones that – not my first Cronenberg. Um, I can't even think what my first Cronenberg would have been. Uh, but either way, uh, yeah, I, this is certainly uh, certainly a goodie uh, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, the movie, uh, it jumps off with the uh, the slideshow. And it's basically, you know, selling yuppies on the this Starliner apartment island. Uh, and the, the movie instantly uh, feels off-putting. Uh, there are no there are no shots here with multiple people in them. You know, any one 
you know, any uh, picture that we get in the slideshow and all that uh, with a person that is all by themselves. And I think that this does two things. One, one, it sets up the isolated single location for the mayhem to happen in. Uh, and it plays into this idea of loneliness and self-isolation from the scary world on the other side of the bridge that you have to travel to uh, to get to this place. Um, but the bitch of it is, uh, you know, obviously you can't escape the real world. Uh, and that's, you know, part of what's going on here, I think. Um, you get a bunch of characters in the movie who are either incompetent or vaguely slimy, uh, from the Mr. Merrick character who's selling apartments to the, uh, useless security guard, uh, who gets his gun stuck on the furniture just to show you how, you know, incompetent he is. And I almost kind of think that, that might've been an Ivan Reitman touch because Ivan Reitman was one the uh, producer on this, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I think he was by this point. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, the characters are set up instantly, uh, like that. And, you know, while Merrick, uh, the Merrick character is busy selling some, uh, uh, while he's busy selling the, the apartments, I should say, there's some, um, there's some crazy old man, uh, who we'll learn a little bit more about later. Uh, he's, uh, attacking or molesting or murdering or all three, uh, a very young girl in a school uniform. Um, so you know, we're maybe five minutes into the movie, not even, and we get a heavy pedophile vibe alongside this violent sexuality yeah. uh, going on. But, you know, Cronenberg gives us no context for this uh, right from the beginning. You know, we're thrown into it, and the attack scene is silent for the most part, which was I thought was really odd. Uh, but it works because, you know, it's, it's this really great hook um, that gives you everything you need while not telling you, um, you know, what's actually going on. Uh, and I, I mean, it's just it's watching this thing go on where, you know, these two are banging around this apartment. Um, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. you know, neither one of them is saying anything. Neither one of them is given any emotion whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, I always found it just really odd, but it, it, it's so fitting and it's so fitting for, uh, for a Cronenberg movie. Uh, and here is where we also get introduced, uh, to the, uh, the soon to be extremely gross centerpiece character played by Alan Coleman. Um, and the film, you know, really does spend a lot of time on him and what's happening to his body. Uh, and I don't know if that's because, you know, he's, he's got, you know, such a, a great face, uh, or if it, there was something else going on that that was, you know, the way that it was written, but either way, yeah, because I mean, I, uh, ostensibly the, uh, the Paul Hampton character would be our, our big hero mm. uh, of the movie, or, or I should say our protagonist. Yeah. Um, so as always, we get uh, we get Cronenberg's uh, his obsession with radical medical procedures, which sound logical enough, you know, while also being insane and, and pretty gross. Uh -huh. uh, and of course, it completely backfires in the most repulsive ways possible, uh, or does it? Right, because <laughs> yeah. we're given we're given a rundown yeah. uh, that explains the ravings of you know this mad doctor who you know even in his um, uh, ra uh, rationalizations. You know, he's off the deep end. You know, he, he talks about how a man has lost touch with his body and wants to turn the entire world into, quote unquote, a beautiful orgy. Uh, and this ethos that uh, he embodies um, is an extreme extrapolation of the sexual liberation movement uh, of the 70s uh, in a lot of ways. Um, we get, let's see here. As always, uh, you know, Cronenberg, he really puts on display his early penchant for picking really dull leads. Uh, and again, you know, I go back to Coleman. He's got, really, you know, like I said, the really distinctive features, but he's a total blank slate. 
Uh, and likewise, the protagonist Hampton, um, or played by Paul Hampton, I should say. Uh, that's not his name in the movie. Uh, he's as standard uh, a doctor as you're ever likely to meet, and there's nothing about him that stands out at all. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, and, you know, maybe his hair. I was going to say his hair, but it's, it's uh, you know, like proto Hulk Hoganish. Yeah, it's interesting. In that, in that way, the blonde people uh, with the receding hairline had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. He combs it all forward, I think, to kind of yes. block the receding <laughs> hairline. Oddly, I think uh, I do the same thing nowadays. But, uh, yeah, that, that actor, Paul Hampton, he, he did a few things. And, uh, of course, he he's a songwriter, too. I think he wrote uh, Sea of Heartbreak, which is in a lot of movies. and Really? Infamously, he wrote the theme song to My Mother the Car, the TV show that oh, uh, good God. is considered the worst sitcom of all time. Uh, I think I've seen worse, but <laughs> yeah, I have too. I'm just gonna let them. I'm just gonna let that uh, that ruling stand. And Alan Coleman, uh, he's interesting. There's moments when I think Alan Coleman's really good in the movie. Yeah, and then there's moments where, and I don't know if it, this was Cronenberg's intent. I can't tell if he's alive or not. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that you know I have to believe I have to believe that this sort of this sort of uh, either casting or direction, and I'm not a hundred percent sure which is is by design from Cronenberg. Yeah, you know, it, but it's also one of the things about his his early pictures that I never liked. It's almost like um, it's almost like young David Cronenberg was like the DC Comics of horror movies, in that you know he's more interested in plot than characters, which uh -huh, has always uh -huh. been kind of the the big debate amongst the uh, comic book fans just to insert that in there um and that's i think also why joe silver uh, as rollo linsky i love that name man that's great uh he he stands out for his brief time uh on screen yeah even though uh, and you know this is a guy by the way i need to mention he is not above eating a used pickle yeah i, I you've got the same comment i was getting ready to make i love that <laughs> i love that he he hates used pickles but he, he'll eat them anyway you fucking eat that used pickle buddy i, I tell you there's He's certain things there's certain things you know i mean as a kid you grow up and even as an adult i mean i wouldn't be afraid to drink after some of my friends of course I know we live in covid times nowadays so i guess everything's different but you know yeah. i've drank after people done things like that but i you know i gotta be honest with you i've never ate somebody else's pickle and that sounds more perverted than it is but uh <laughs> That's uh that's crossing a threshold. I'm well, for me, it's never it's always been a non-issue because I don't like pickles to begin with. Okay, so there you go. So I'm I'm immediately absolved of this. Uh, I'm not. I, I love pickles. I can, look, I can look down my nose on uh, on eaters of pickles or non-eaters yeah, of pickles. Yeah, I love pickles, but uh, I'm like his face when he goes, "It's used." Uh, <laughs> Isn't it great? Yeah, uh, it is exactly what my face would have been. I would have tossed that sucker in the uh, trash right then and there. Yeah. <laughs> but this movie shot in montreal and if i remember correctly i had some poutine when i went to toronto and uh, large william uh shame he's not on the show but i believe he had his poutine montreal style which had smoked meat and a pickle on top ooh, and i'm pretty sure that does sound very french canadian yeah i'm pretty sure that uh montreal style the french canadian uh smoked meat and, and a pickle a dill pickle is uh pretty common because so i believe they're having smoked meat sandwiches at some point that him and uh Joe i think Silver. Uh, you can get uh, smoked meat and a pickle from some street hustlers oh yeah, yeah. if you know what i'm saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so yeah. yeah um you can also get shivers from uh, some you street could hustlers. Get, you could definitely get uh, love parasites from uh <laughs> yeah. from yeah. certain you might not you might anyway. not be able to see them but you'll feel them uh yeah you'll, you'll definitely feel them <laughs> <laughs> like a flamethrower um 
so yeah uh so and likewise there's also you get you get the great barbara Steele, yes. uh who's here you know she's another one she's you know, limited time because obviously she would cost more out of the budget to have her on screen more but you know here she's playing this uh sad lesbian uh and stealing just about any scene that she's in i think uh-huh. uh though again not really having a hell of a lot to do you know outside of uh she does have one of the movie's more standout moments she does i think um, i think really her and barbara Steele is really known for this i mean she's striking right i mean i think yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think some people find her attractive some don't i happen to find her very attractive uh mm-hmm. because she's kind of an odd beauty um yeah. but very arch eyebrows and, and things well, she like looks, that she looks almost severe but yeah not almost like vampire come to life yeah 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 kind of <laughs> like that yeah but yeah. she has always been striking to me and, and and gorgeous and of course in this you get to see her in a wet shirt which is also nice mm-hmm. um if you're into that kind of thing but she does have one of the more memorable moments but i think she's just in the movie just to be in my opinion just to kind of be barbara Steele. yeah well, that's all that's a hell of a lot of it yeah, and, and yeah. that's a obviously that's a great exploitation trick because i mean that's what you're you know if you know your audience you know your audience will probably uh, come see that, and uh, that's that was just smart of uh, him to do. Although there is a, I don't think it's a spoiler here to say that, but she's a bit of a uh, repressed. Not, not, I don't know if she's repressed lesbian, but she's definitely um, uh, certainly well, yeah, secretive I mean, about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, because even though I mean, yeah, this was the the sexual sexual lib. Mm-hmm. Uh, thing going on i mean even though there was that i mean there were still still certain things that were uh, looked down upon and yeah. and homosexuality sexuality is certainly one of those yeah and she's uh kind of uh kind of secretly in love with the uh susan yeah. petrie character yep. who is yep. the uh the husband of the uh the other gentleman so the and, wife of the alan yeah, Coleman. yeah character. yeah maybe the husband would be she's not, the husband. <laughs> yeah, so not, the <laughs> not, husband. not well she she is a I, I find i found her also very attractive uh, i yes. like that actress quite a bit so yes yes i would agree with you Susan on that. petrie yes there's no so, bra no bras in this movie no there are not Unfortunately, that Thank one you. that older Thank you, David. yeah. Unfortunately, that older lady that gets gets it by the washing machine. She did she have a bra. She also is not wearing a bra. Well, maybe she isn't, but I couldn't tell. She's like the Edith Massey of this movie. She does have some nice uh, boxer shorts on, though. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they have the pee hole in them. Later, yeah. Later on, she uh, she attacks. Uh, I think a guy trying to serve some food. I think. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, she just has them fucking crab apples on her face or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ooh. gross. Uh, but uh, Steele also gets, you know, she get, there's a shot of, and obviously this would be stunt feet, uh, stepping on glass uh, with bare feet, uh, and that that shot I think made me squirm maybe more uh, than anything else in the movie did. Oh yeah, um, the- it's one of those things where you, you get that that sympathy. Uh, pain because we've all we've all had that thing you know not everybody's been uh infested with a a, a sex parasite but uh, a lot of people have stepped on something that's gone into their foot okay oh, and yeah. you immediately know that feeling and you know it, it comes back as soon as you see it and it's yeah. certainly the case and that's a, a simple thing but if you look at mm-hmm. uh, cronenberg's filmography he he likes to do that kind of stuff you know stuff we yeah you know like running things under fingernails or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, this the things that everybody has probably experienced at some point. And yes, yeah, stepping on glass is unfortunately something most of us have experienced, and it sucks. Oh yeah, big time. And and not a fan. And what I always hate about it, just to kind of go go to this in a little bit, kind of dig into this a little bit, for lack of a better word, glass punctures for whatever reason they 
they ache badly the next day. Ooh, they man. do. God. They do, and I think that's because of the the width of the glass. Yeah, yeah. I almost have to. I almost have to think that like it's it's trying to seal and it can't. Yeah, and it gets way in there sometimes and gets yeah. to, gets yeah, to yeah. the nerve ending maybe a little bit more. But anyway, you always feel like you've really been you know sucker punched almost or something. <laughs> so I just recently, not too long ago, I had a piece of a large piece of glass under my thumbnail. God. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's ex- yeah, and it was not good, and I couldn't get it out. I had to wait to, for it to get infected. I could either cut my thumbnail off, which is not that, optimal, not, no. or I could wait for it to get infected and uh, push it out. So I did that, and I had to do some kind of minor surgery and uh, thing on myself. And uh, yeah, That's it was just fun. just an itty bitty little sliver, man. But uh, I could not if I hit anything with my thumb, I would buckle to my knees. It got oh, to yeah. that. It got to that point. So glass slivers, no good. No, I would totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, of this uh, disgusting story about infections and nails, um, yeah, Cronenberg yeah. lets his uh, his little gross-out flag fly uh, big time with this movie. You get uh, puking blood. There's mutilations. The parasites that are ejecting and slithering, uh, slithering yawn. And, you know, as I was watching this movie and what's going on and the whole premise in general – uh, it, it reminded me of uh, George Romero's The Crazies, uh, which also features Lynn Lowry in it. Um, yes. As well as, uh, you know, it, I need to mention this as well, uh, the hippie rabies flick, I Drink Your Blood. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, has a similar sort of uh, premise, though not exactly. Um, and, you know, the Romero movie is, uh, you know, is less disgusting. Um, it's more political. It's less intimate. Uh, but the effects of the uh, infections of both are essentially the same. You know, this full-on release of the id, uh, more or less, both sexually and violently, uh, as well as its uh, apocalyptic tone, which you know was a big thing back then uh, as well. Yeah. But yeah, I was I was really kind of surprised uh, that I I I never quite made the the uh, the connection uh, between these two movies. Yeah. But it is definitely there. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember. Uh, I want to say that uh, Crazies came first by a couple of years, uh, but uh, but not too not too too uh, too too far in the past. Yeah, I can tell you uh, from reading interviews that he saw Lynn Lowry in Crazies, and he cast her for that reason. Oh, did he? Yes. Okay. Okay, that yep. makes sense. He, and he he finds her her beauty odd. If you if you think about Cronenberg's filmography, he he. Well, tends- I would say Sylvan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a she's an. I think Barbara Steele and her are both abnormal beauties. I think they're, mm-hmm. you know, Lynn Lowry's not my thing, but she is striking uh, as well in a in a in a way that I can't really describe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I, I don't understand. But but you know, he's Cronenberg's kind of known for that. He's he's also kind of like that. You know, I think that the the reason you know Cronenberg gets under my skin. And I think the reason why he gets under a lot of people's skin is because I think, you know, horror movies in their very nature, uh, right? And this is going to sound very PhD and very highfalutin of me, but I don't Go mean it. it. But, you know, horror movies by their own nature, obviously, it's a way for us to kind of confront our mortality, right? It's kind of a way for human beings to, you know, kind of joy, joyfully, you know, watch murder and violence and accidents and things like that happen. I think what's always made people uncomfortable with Cronenberg is there's never any real joy <laughs> in any of his uh, death scenes. They always seem very painful and yes. suffering. 
And uh, I just think he kind of hits you between the eyes with reality, you know, the things yeah. you can't see. Well, it's bad things that happen to good people. Yeah, cancers, uh, yeah. sicknesses, yeah. things we can't control, which I think scares people even more. Well, it's, yeah, it's that nature Nature really hates you uh, and wants you dead, and it's going to do everything in its power um, yeah. to uh, to kill you in the worst possible way, and yeah. that's kind of what he goes for. Well, something else always wants to survive, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you sadly end up being a vessel for that. So Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, well, because as well, of that, as well as being, and, and like I said, I mean, it's this thing where, you know, it's don't, don't tamper with nature. Uh, you know, the, even though we're making these advances in, uh, in science, uh, it's having adverse effects that, uh, that might be worse than the, the cure might be worse than the disease, right? so to speak. And I think also, you know, he, he tackles like Ken Russell, Ken Russell tends to tackle sexuality in more of a orgiastic kind of. Yeah, yeah, celebration of sexuality. Uh you know, in my opinion, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe not the way I would celebrate it, but certainly, <laughs> it's bo- it's bombastic. It's it's out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. here you go, more of a bacchanal. Yeah. Whereas Cronenberg, I think, kind of approaches it more in reality terms, which is you know, sex can sometimes it can smell, it can be sticky, mm-hmm. it can be nasty, mm-hmm. it can be bloody. Yep. Sometimes you didn't shave your legs. Yeah. And uh, I think he, you know, I don't know if he gets off on that, but I think he certainly gets off on the fact that people are repulsed by something that is very human. Mm -hmm. Well, by something that's very essential for humanity. Yeah. And I think he, he basically just confronts everybody about the things that we quote unquote are not supposed to talk about. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And and that's the thing. He's, he's thrown a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff here. Uh, at the screen that, you know, should give you pause, I think. Yes. So certainly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so there is, uh, do, 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 where am I? Oh, there I am. Uh, so, uh, I love that, uh, Joe Silver, he's, there's a scene where he's talking on the phone to Hampton and he's sitting next to an aquarium with a lamprey or something in it, uh, that, uh, you know, the, the lamprey almost threatens to steal, uh, his thunder a bit, but he doesn't, but he comes close, he but can't. the lamprey is just, is flinging, it's flinging itself around this aquarium. Nobody he, can... It literally is bisecting the screen. Yeah. Like half of it is, is silver. Half of it is the aquarium. Well, actually half of it is silver's nose and the other half <laughs> of it is the, that's the thing. I don't think you can steal screen time from, uh, Joe Silver because his nose is one of the, the largest noses in cinema history. Oh, it's a proboscis. Yeah. Indeed. And I love Him it. Him and Durante. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I mean, he he had a look. You know, I think we talked about yeah. it a little bit when we did Rabbit, right? Which is yes, yes, we did. Very similar to this movie in a lot of ways. Yes, uh, yes. Rabbit kind of feels like a more like he's exploring the same theme, but I think Rabbit's a lot more clinical. Yeah, a lot more clinical. But he's kind of exploring the same themes, and yes. uh, I think he just was a little bit better of a. F- I don't know if I prefer Shivers over Rabbit, but uh, you can certainly uh, me, tell. I personally do. Yeah, uh, I think you can see growth as a filmmaker. Whether you prefer that or not, uh, mm-hmm. between the two, and I think that's probably why he re- re- kind of revisit. Well, I mean, obviously he's revisited the same things over and over again in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. now that I think about it, watching Rabbit, I mean, they are very similar in a lot of ways, except that Rabbit kind of gets out there into the real world, quote unquote, a little bit, whereas this one tries yeah. to stay on Nuns Island in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, this thing was obviously it, it's a budget thing, so we keep it in as few locations as is humanly possible, and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Jew. But anyway, like I was saying about Silver, I mean, he's he's got a natural charm on screen. Kind of this uh, half smile, kind of talks out of the side of his mouth, this large bulbous nose. Yeah, but you buy everything that he says. He knows how to sell the yeah, he's got a great know, whatever voice. exposition he needs to yeah. sell. He One of the really great voices. does it yeah. you know, really, really well. It's that th- I really do honestly believe it's that authoritarian voice. But he's really, he is, like we've talked about, I mean, he's a really good character actor. I mean, he just, he really... You just feel like he is this Rolo Linsky character. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, There's a scene, you know, when you're watching Lynn Lowry stab a fork into the uh, the meat that she's cooking, and it absolutely drives me berserk because, dude, that shit is going to be dried out like leather. Um, you don't go doing that. You don't stick yeah. a fucking fork in the meat. You got to let it rest and all that other stuff. You use the tongs if you have to. Um, oh, also, these people I are advanced. That, if you ask me, I use my fingers. Uh, yeah, big time. <laughs> Just wrap some foil around there. That's right. That fucking thing on your own. Um, also, someone needs to tell her that you do not just quarter a tomato and throw it into a salad. So, you know, she may be a good nurse, but this is she is yeah. amateur hour with yeah. cooking. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I like quartered tomatoes in my salad. It's too much. No, man, it's too fucking. Come on, it's, it's too beefy. Too, now you got to start much cutting tomato. into salads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much tomato. Yeah, you got to start having a knife with your salad. Yeah, ridiculous. Or you pick the quartered tomato up and eat it with your hands, which is. That is, uh, that's the of all yeah. Well, maybe if you've been married for a while, it's okay. But, uh, you know, first <laughs> dates or whatever, whatnot, that's not an attractive trait. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really not. Um, so, uh, moving on from that, which was, that's probably the most horrific scene in the movie. Um, but uh, you get the uh, the scene, uh, the cherry pie perv in the elevator. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, one of the things that, elevates this film's transgressiveness is that uh and this is kind of what we've been uh, toying around with a bit here in our review cronenberg you know he's not afraid uh to not only threaten children but carry through on the threat yes because you know in the cronenberg world you know innocence won't save you no uh and there's you know this heavy nihilism going on in a lot of his work or maybe you know i guess you could argue um um, whether it's nihilism or, or cold intellectualism, I guess you could say uh, either one I mean, you could make an argument for. Uh-huh. Um, but it, 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 this is stuff that's going on in his movies. And, and you know, it's one of the things that I've, uh, I always found really interesting. And I think that's why he has the appeal that he has in the first place uh, is because he, I mean, like we've been saying, he, he's not afraid to go there. He's not afraid to, uh, to kind of uh, turn the mirror around and uh, let you see what you're doing in the dark. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's one of the more interesting things that, uh, that the guy does with, yeah. the. well, again, it's a, it's a thing that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah people yeah, do yeah. not like to see children in peril. Uh, yeah. you know, as I've had children, I refrain from it more and more as well. I mean, it just, you, it's just something people do not want to see. Right. Well, it's the same. Yeah. And, and going again, going back to, um, a similarity to, uh, Romero with uh, the original night of the living dead. Uh, that scene in the basement uh-huh. um, with the uh, the daughter. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. And, you know, there's also, I mean, here's a perfect example. You know, I love that, you know, there's at some point in the movie, the Paul Hampton character, he's watching a woman be attacked uh, and he does nothing uh, with the gun in his hand to help her. So it's just it's sort of this, you know, I can't, there's only so much I can do and I have to do this first. Uh, sort of thing so you gotta you know it's almost like a triage sort of thing yep. going on yeah um while the world is falling apart and you're sitting there and you know your your instinct 
as a human being or maybe as a, a civilized human being uh, would be to uh, to help her, uh, to help anybody uh, who's in uh, in danger uh, or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but at the same time, just, you know, it's not happening in this world. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen. Uh, and I think that that's maybe more disturbing than uh, than almost anything else. Yeah. Um, do, 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 uh, so we get to the climax and it's, it's almost a laundry list, uh, of, uh, perversions and violence. I mean, he really, Cronenberg really rips the, uh, the veil off there and lets the freak flag, uh, fly. <laughs> um, cause he, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things going on here. And it's, it's almost as if Hampton was uh, playing like, let's make a deal. Um, you know, trying to choose which door he wants to, uh, to open up there. Yeah. Uh, and then the movie ends, uh, and it's, it's a great ending. I think it's, it's really, it's really evocative. And I love that he, the, the, uh, they said it where they said it. Yeah. Um, it just, it fits so well. Uh, and then the scene after that, you know, kind of is quiet, uh, but it's eerie. It's ominous. Uh, yeah. It really works. Well, I mean, I think uh, it's, it's like a lot of Cronenberg's work is, you know, human beings, are human beings, but ultimately disease always wins. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Nature yeah. always wins. Nature always uh, wins. Nobody gets out alive. Nope. Um, between so, nature and used pickles, you don't have a chance. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> fuck them used pickles. So, uh, obviously, you know, the movie's low budget and, you know, it does bear those signs on it. Uh, especially you know, because you notice things like the, the cinematography, which is very utilitarian, I think. Um, but you know, Cronenberg has, has had, uh, a way of making up for it. Uh, in, in this one with his, and maybe it's more, uh, Reitman's, um, ability. I don't know, but regardless, uh, the ability to deliver a satisfying, uh, splatter horror film yeah. that's actually saying something underneath the, uh, the surface and has some, uh, some brains behind it. Uh-huh. And, uh, it also zips along nicely, yeah. uh, which I think is one of the things that I, I don't like about, or I should say, uh, I should say one of the reasons that I prefer this over Rabbit is I think that Rabbit is just kind of number one. Like I said, it's more clinical for me, and number two, yeah. uh, I don't think it's as well paced as this one is. Um, mm-hmm. This one really, uh, really goes in there, and also, um, I think one of the detriments of Rabbit uh, compared to this one is that it's uh, Rabbit is like one thing. Um, you know, there's these uh, people who are Rabbit are Rabbit, and that's it. This is these people are infected and their preversion or whatever could be almost anything. And yes, yeah. I said it the wrong way on purpose. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, you know what I mean? It just gives it a little more, a little more, uh, flavor, a yeah. little more, um, you know what it is. Right? I'm going like, I'm going to break it down for you. Okay. Here it okay. goes. Yeah, Rabbit is wearing a condom and shivers <laughs> is going bareback <laughs> and anal. Oh Yeah. Take it one step uh, further. Just gave me the shivers. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shivers! <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. Uh, but that's all the uh, that's all the notes that I got. It's yeah, I, I like this movie. I, I've always uh, I've always had a soft spot for this one. Um, yeah. Even though, yeah, it's it's definitely rough. Uh, it's definitely raw. Uh, I think that's those are a couple of things that I really like about it, and I think a couple of things that really make it work as well as it works. Um, yeah, it's kind of it is. It, it it feels visceral, like the subject yeah. matter that it's taking on. It's kind of punk rockish, right? I mean, it's a kind of bit, yeah, in a way, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's just you know, it's just stripped down Cronenberg. It is what it is, and 
he's going to punch you in the mouth. And oh, yeah. of course, I kind of like that. I, I obviously I like cinema like that. I, and that's my favorite kind of transgressive cinema. It's like I'm you know I'm not judging anything. I'm, I'm just going to hit you with the facts. Uh, mm-hmm. the, obviously, they're Cronenbergian facts, but mm-hmm. uh, I like that he does that. Uh, and I, I it just it always works for me. Uh, he always knows how to just I don't know. Uh, skeeve me out in some weird way and he you know going back and i hadn't seen this in years i probably hadn't seen this since uh well i'd imagine i probably saw a dvd of it at some point um but i can't recall the last time i watched it uh it's been some time dvd that's an old format and uh so you know but it's interesting to kind of i like filmmakers who have a, a theme uh who have a you know a sense of who they are and uh i don't think we get a lot of that now i don't think uh, i think there's still some out there don't get me wrong there's the, there are yeah the no A's and even the jared hesses uh, i mean there's definitely filmmakers and the kevin smiths for what is for lack of a better i mean these guys all still get to make what they want to make and uh there's definitely a through line um but i think there's also a lot of you know like there always has been there's a lot of commercial directors as well and you can't really you know they're just getting the job done and there's got to be those guys as well but I really yeah. do long for these uh, kind of visionaries. And Cronenberg, well, he kind of came studios, along. Go ahead. Studios are now the filmmakers. Yeah, I think in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, more and, so. You know, that's that's not really a good thing. And I think that I'm hoping that eventually, at some point, things are gonna well, it'll break. You know, take take a turn. Yeah, it'll break. Uh, it inevitably, the only, the only problem yeah. is is if it breaks, is it gonna get fixed? Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing. But I mean, it will break. Everything breaks. Uh, the '70s broke. Uh, you know, the '80s broke. Uh, the studios gain more and more control. It's more about IPs now, right, than it is about yep. um, talent. Yep. And um, that'll break as well. But what'll happen after that? Don't know. We'll see. Right. Um, everybody wants an IP. I read an article not too long ago about Netflix and how badly they want some type of property that makes people want to go to Netflix. Uh, now, obviously, a lot of people have Netflix uh, anyway, mm-hmm. but. They want some, you know, they want a Game of Thrones. They want a, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. They want, you know, a Star uh, Trek, yes, a Star want, Wars. Yeah, they want, they want a franchise. Yeah. They, they want something that people are like, I have to have Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because they got so many uh, subscribers that now they want to get all the rest. <laughs> and all these all these streaming services are looking for stuff like that. Amazon is and and all these things. If you look, they're all. You know, pushing these uh, series out and stuff, and I'm not saying anything bad. There's been some good stuff that's come out of that, but it's interesting though that they just want the the property. They don't really want the uh, the thing, the other things. What is the one of them's got a pretty hot property coming up? I can't remember what it is. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. It's another show or another conversation altogether. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit. The blue looks really good. Uh, it does look like a independent, low budget movie, but that's what it is, and. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's always fun to see Ivan Reitman's name on stuff and remember that, you know, he's a film lover and, you know, he started in the business making movies to make money uh, and eventually became a big budget uh, Hollywood filmmaker. But, you know, uh, exploitation films turn a buck. So, yeah. uh, you know, he knew what he was doing. He's been on the show yeah. a couple of times in a producer and role. And he's never shied away from genre. No, never has. Never, even even after he became successful. Yeah. It's not I mean that's that's where and it's like Scorsese and some of these other guys they respect genre cinema because it yeah it has to exist yeah uh, you can't just not everything can just be you know these big prestige High pictures art. yeah yeah it can't be because if it is then <laughs> 
what well, I mean, it's just, it's just not reality. So yeah, yeah. Um, so a little bit of that is here. Uh, yeah, obviously, this is a in a weird way, kind of a horny zombie movie. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think uh, if I remember reading an article, I believe. It was called uh, originally like Orgy of the Blood Parasites or something like that. I believe it was Orgy of the Blood Parasites, yeah. And Cronenberg knew what he was doing. He He's often said in interviews, I've read a lot of interviews of him over the years, he's often said that he knew he wanted to be a horror filmmaker. And he didn't necessarily grow up loving horror. He just knew that's the kind of filmmaker he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is interesting because, of course, later in his career, he kind of got away from it a little bit. But he didn't never he's never gotten away from horrific elements. I think if you look at his later filmography, History of Violence, uh, Eastern Promises, um, Dangerous Method even. I didn't see Map to the Stars or some of the, the, the last couple. I haven't seen those yet. But if you look at some of that stuff, you see not horror movies per se, but horrific elements within the films themselves, within the drama. I think he's always been fascinated with human beings' cruelty to each other and mm-hmm. nature's kind of cruelty to us. And uh, I've always kind of found that, you know, very interesting, and I've kind of always appreciated that. He kind of hits you between the legs, so to speak. <laughs> uh, he does. Yeah, he doesn't just punch you in the gut. He punches you right in the nut, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like Dio's you shivers. You <laughs> 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 Just get you right where you need, right in the giggly, giggly parts. Um, I I have always found this movie interesting for its its almost overt sexuality. Uh, it's not there on the surface in the beginning, but I think there's a comment there, you know, that you can remove, like you said earlier, you can remove yourself from society and be this upper crust. You know, you're on this island, you're in this high rise. You know, this kind of goes to the J.G. Ballard uh, story. And, you know, Cronenberg obviously is a Ballard fan. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these things, you can remove yourself from all these things. But ultimately, what you really are is a human being and you always will be. Like the the disease is always going to follow you. The darkness is always going to follow you. You can spend your whole life trying to escape the bad in the world. But the bad always finds a way in because the bad is part of being human. It's not a part that we celebrate necessarily, but it's inevitable. It's fatalism. Yeah, it's fatalism. And that's, uh, you know, it's kind of been my mentality my whole life is that, you know, it's it's fun to sit around and think that you're protected and stuff like that, especially when you have children and things. It's fun to to think that the life is going to always be this protected, beautiful thing. But uh, life has a way of reminding you why it exists every now and then and it'll scare the shit out of you mm-hmm. if it doesn't destroy you and uh, it's just the way it is and i think for some people that makes cronenberg somebody they avoid uh and this film you know it's dealing with sexuality it's dealing with the sexual revolution now 75 we're talking about the middle of the kind of swinging generation here we're talking about the hippies are gone we got cocaine we got free yep. sex uh yep disco Plato's retreat going on yeah yeah so people are experimenting still and and good things are happening but also bad things are happening because people are being reckless as people tend to be Mm -hmm. and um you know it's it it's kind of commenting on that and it's kind of Cronenberg's comment that you know have your fun uh it's the Ted Kaczynski thing have your cake and eat it too um but uh just realize that evolution will find a way to solve any issues 
that uh, it comes across. Not saying it judges because it doesn't, right? Disease doesn't judge. No, but it doesn't care. It doesn't care, but it does find a way to weed out its warning, and uh, you know, it's just the way it is. And I think that's Cronenberg in a nutshell. And I think the film works. I think you know, it's ominous. I think that's a word you used, kind of this. I don't know if you use that word or not, but it feels yeah, that way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it feels opp- oppressive, yeah, uh, yeah. almost fascist, well, I mean, almost fascist yeah, right in a from, weird right way. From the beginning, yeah, right from the beginning, yeah, almost fascist in a strange way. Uh, uh yeah, you know, upper crust. You know, yeah. there's the the only African American I recall in the movie was uh, fixing a switchboard. Yeah, and I'm not saying. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty white. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's shot in Montreal, complex. but I'm just saying. I mean, it, it's taking these. These, you know, this, these two high rises, and you know, these people are removed from society, so it's exclusivity, and mm-hmm. there's a comment there, right? I mean, money and yeah, and all class. that kind, of, yeah, yeah, class and things like that. All that stuff is there, and he's doing it all very subtly. And I think that's what Cronenberg does, as well as any horror filmmaker. I think he, as as overt and as punctual as he can be. I think a lot of times, a lot of his best work is kind of just right there under the surface all the time. Mm-hmm. Like he's making the comments. He's a very political filmmaker, but he's not punching you in the face with his politics. Well, no, he knows the he knows the uh, the value of subtext. Yeah, yeah, uh, and especially, I mean, and I almost tend to think that that's kind of why he gravitated towards horror in the first place is because it's so easy with stuff like yeah. horror and science fiction and fantasy Yes, it is. to deal with the real world uh, issues in a way that you're not, or you shouldn't be uh, bashing people over the head yeah. uh, with it and, and still making a, a point uh, while allowing the, the viewer to draw their own, uh, draw their own conclusions about, uh, about everything in the first place. So. Yeah. If I have one gripe about this movie though, I got to say, Nobody in this movie feels like a character you can care about, and I don't think no, that's no, I don't think that's a bad except thing. For, except for uh, Rollo. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think it's. I think honestly, that might just be our love of Joe Silver, but yeah. me and you. But <laughs> well, a little bit Barbara Steele, you kind yeah. of feel bad. But I, I think that again, that's but, more Barbara Steele. Yeah, than, I, but uh, I, but I think the, the star of the movie is the disease itself. It's it's often been yeah, the criticism yeah. of Cronenberg is that he loves his disease he loves his sickness more than he loves his actors absolutely that's and, why that's why he's got such bland leads yeah and that, that's the way this feels i mean you never really i i can't think of there i mean we have a hero character but i never really get behind anything he's doing nope, nope. we have a no, he's ineffectual from from stem to stern yeah outside of his professional life i guess yeah. we have kind of a wounded fawn character and our uh and the wife of the the gentleman that enjoys his sexual depravity yeah. and his disease uh which those psychological elements are kind of interesting i don't know if we talked about that much but there's an aspect where he the the alan coleman character mm-hmm. enjoys talking to the parasite that's inside of him mm-hmm. which is a different level of perversity um but an interesting one to say the least yeah, uh, yeah. but then we have his like i said his wife this kind of wounded fawn character who's looking for uh, some type of sustenance or some type of love in some way because she feels very empty. Of course, she, she's worried about her husband, but she's also just not getting the affection she needs. And um, so yeah. she kind and of falls. I feel like it's been that way from for a while. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Probably for a while. 
And, you know, obviously the Barbara Steele character can kind of see this a little bit too. Right. And you can see that she's kind of suffering a little bit because she wants this this character to be part of her life. And, you know, this, this sexual disease just kind of kicks it into overdrive. And then you just get a kind of a great stage, kind of a great, just a great set piece in the swimming pool. It's just a great set piece. Yeah, it is. Um, the idea of this, you know, this gigantic orgy. I mean, if there's similarities between Ken Russell and Cronenberg, it's right there in that swimming pool scene. That feels like a very Ken Russell type of thing. Uh, yeah. The only yeah, difference yeah, yeah. is there isn't any strange pyrotechnics or religious imagery imagery going on. <laughs> yeah. There's no giant dildos in yeah. that uh, scene Cause, that we you know, can see. Well, I don't think that Cronenberg, I don't think he's Catholic. I, see, I think Russell, I think Russell was Catholic. <laughs> I'm not sure if Russell was Catholic, but if he wasn't, he's certainly... If he wasn't, he certainly, yeah, he's got it all going on. But he always finds some way to throw Catholic imagery into everything, whereas Cronenberg, yep, yep. uh, uh, like you said, it's very staid. It's very clinical in a lot of ways. And that swimming pool scene, it's very visceral, but it also is, in a weird way, kind of clinical and strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about it that both... And I think he maybe he's going for this, but you think about pools and chlorinated water... And this cleanliness, and then you think about throwing this disease and this orgy in this clean, quote-unquote, environment. Yeah, well, not only that, but, I mean, you also think about all the the public pools that you've ever been in and all the shit that's floating in there. Yeah, yeah. Pubic hair hair alone is a... Oh, God. (laughs) And God forbid anybody has any any sort of, uh, like, I don't know, chlamydia or something. Yeah. It's always a concern when you jump in a public pool and you get out and you're like, oh, I got some of my hair in my mouth. I'm like, oh, that might not be oh, that might not be your hair. Stop. <laughs> I'm making a Cronenberg movie. It's called Christ Almighty. It's, it's called, called pubes. Pubic Pool, not Public Pool. <laughs> Orgy of the Public Pubic Pool. <laughs> pubic Pool. Pubic. <laughs> my films are very publician. <laughs> As as a as a fellow male, it's like looking down at the stand up urinal and seeing those short and curlies just sitting there on the urinal. You yeah. know, you know, you every time you use a public restroom, you look down, you are like, God, who's the hairy bastard that was in here before me? <laughs> it was probably me. <laughs> anyway, I was going to admit it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's amazing how much hair we lose down there. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, I shed more than my fucking dog does, and he sheds a lot. <laughs> Oh man, I'm glad we don't have thick hair like dogs though. Can you imagine how awful that would be? <laughs> the coarse, <laughs> yeah, right. coarse hairs like cutting into your private area. Oh. Uh, anyway, uh, getting away from that grossness. Uh, even Cronenberg right now is like, guys, please. You got to do uh, that, guys. We haven't done a Cronenberg impersonation on the show, but uh, well, that's because you basically have yeah. to talk like this. Well, I uh, I really thought these zombies would be the horniest of zombies. <laughs> That's my, my my best Cronenberg I can do. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, because he's got this very kind of bland way of delivering things. This way, he kind of he's almost like a a heavy intellectual teaching a class. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's always felt that way. And uh, but I, but I think the movie still works. Um, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we got a chance to cover it. Um, yeah, like I said, in some ways, it's the most Cronenberg. I think some people say Dead Ringers is the most Cronenbergian of Cronenberg films, but well, I think it's his most accomplished, personally. Yeah, I think it might be his. Uh, well, it's his most. Uh, well, like I wouldn't say award worthy, although I think some people were nominated for Oscars. I think Irons was nominated. But yeah, I do believe he was. My personal opinion is that is his masterpiece. Yeah, 
I think I might like. I might like. Well, the, we're, not, we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about like versus. You know. Yeah. Oh, uh, we're talking about. Yeah, okay, we're talking about like versus what you think accomplishing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I I don't know if uh, if I could say that. I, honestly, I think the fly might be his masterpiece, but because uh, I think yeah, it, yeah. Even though the yeah, the, uh, well, yeah, no, you can make that argument. But yeah. I think the Dead Ringers shares a lot with the fly. Uh-huh. Certainly, uh huh. Certainly. And it came out. Well, Dead Ringers also came out uh, after that. Um, yeah. So I mean, he was kind of like taking that and developing it. I think a little bit more. Uh, and then putting that out there. And I think that also, uh, you know, the fly, I think you would get a lot. Well, I think that if you put that out there, uh, you would get blowback just because of its extremely overt, um, like, uh, creature uh, elements, you know, whereas uh-huh. Dead Ringers is not so much. It's a story about two people yeah. uh, who are still fucked up and still sort of monstrous. I think all um, of, if you look at all of his filmography, though, I think he's one of those type of filmmakers where I think depending on the person. Uh-huh. Anybody can find a Cronenberg masterpiece. Oh, I would, yeah, yeah. And no, it, I it, it could be something different. You know, you got your Videodrome folks, you got yeah. your your Brood folks, you got yeah, your yeah, yeah. Jesus, you got your Scanners folks, you got your. I don't know about that one. Yeah, you got your History of Violence folks. You know, you definitely just, History of Violence. Yeah, Eastern yeah. Promises, sure. Yeah, Naked Lunch, even which is just yeah. so out there that you know. <laughs> In a lot of ways, for me, Naked Lunch might be the most Cronenbergian film because yeah, yeah, yeah. even I don't understand what's going on half the time. No, uh, that's <laughs> no. a that's a messed up one. So well, and, and you know, the thing is that I mean, like you said, you haven't seen Maps to the Stars and like no. uh, Cosmopolis. I'm assuming. Yeah, those two. Um, I personally did not like either one of those. Like, yeah, the last one I did saw. Did not like either one of those. I don't know if you saw it. I, the last one I saw was a uh, Dangerous Method. I saw that one. I saw that one. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, that I one. That was okay. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. Um, but I mean, his the last Maps of the Stars. I was not a not a fan of yeah. Maps of the Stars. I think is better than Cosmopolis, in my personal opinion. Uh-huh. Um, but both of those, I think, is definitely. I, it's just taken a step down. Uh, I think that it's he's lost uh, a bit of what made him special. Uh, or maybe there's just too much of it now that it's a, you know, he just is, um, treading water and not or, being able to, to quite do it. Or maybe, and I hope this is true. Maybe he's just reprogramming. Maybe he's just getting ready to come back and punch us in the mouth or something. And I would love that. Uh, I, two movies out and yeah. I, I'm kind of losing a bit of faith. I got to say, he's I'd like, kinda, yeah, he's, I'd, he's, uh, he's carpentering on me. Yeah. I'd like to see him do something else, but uh, I don't know if he'll do anything else. I don't know if he's interested. Uh, right, seems right. like he's he more interested in writing now. Which I think his original plan when he was younger was to be a novelist. I don't think his original plan was to be a filmmaker. So I think I he's more interested that. in that yeah. now. And he's getting up there. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's born in 43. He's not a, he's not a young man anymore. He's getting up there. So uh, who knows? I don't know if he has the energy or the want, maybe like Carpenter, to direct another movie. Right, right, right. And I don't blame maybe. him. Uh, you know, I've, I've often heard the direct. I can only imagine directing a film is exhaustive work because people are always asking you for something. Yeah. And as somebody who has a job very similar to that, I'm exhausted all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It gets to you. Yeah, it gets to you big time. Uh, okay, let's get into Make or Breaks, MVTs. All righty. Uh, make or Break. I'm going to go the opening scene uh, with Hobbs and Annabelle um, because it kickstarts the movie. Uh, it gives us some nudity. It gives us some violence at the same time. Uh, and it sets us up for the uh, the journey 
uh, the movie. I think I think that um, yeah, if you if you have issues with that scene, you're gonna have issues with the entire thing because uh, it only goes from there. Uh, MVT, I, you got to give it to Cronenberg as far as I'm concerned. Although Joe Belasco, Joe Belasco, um, and his uh, effects work is 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 decent. Um, but yeah, I got to give it to Cronenberg. It's his vision. It's his uh, it's his hand behind there uh, as usual. Um, and this is yeah, uh, this is as Cronenbergian as Cronenberg uh, gets. So there's a reason why it's called Cronenbergian. Oh yeah. Uh, and score for me, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go higher than I would have thought, actually. Uh, 7.5 out of 10, I'm giving on this one. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, in a, we're in a lot of the same uh, scenarios here. My, my make or break, I, man, I I really want to go with the pool scene, but I mean, you really got to mm-hmm. wait. But I, for me, it's still the most striking moment in the movie, so I'm going to stick with it. Although I think okay. the, the tub scene is really good. And um, it's interesting. Uh, that tub scene, it seems, you know, obviously Wes Craven saw it. And a few other folks right, have right, seen it right. over the years, and it's kind of stuck with folks. Um, but that pool scene is, it's just great. It's great. At that point, it's absolute chaos. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. MVT uh, Cronenberg, yeah. Uh, I think he's the best thing about this movie. Because uh, I don't think anybody really stands out acting-wise outside of Joe Silver. I really don't. I don't. I mean, Barbara Steele's Barbara Steele, and that's great. But I don't think she really does anything amazing here other than no. just show up and be Barbara Steele. Uh, and my score is the same as yours, 7.5. Nice. I think it's a, nice. a wonderful Cronenbergian trip. You can't go wrong with some no, Cronenberg. Can't. You really can't. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk some Ken Russell with Lair of the White Worm. We'll be back right after this. How about that? 
There you go. I got a hair in my mouth. Let's hope it's not. <laughs> Hopefully not the toilet. <laughs> That's some happy-go-lucky stuff there. Hang on, let's go back up a little bit. I like that double bass in there. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. It's a good you know, I watched. There's a video uh, of a dogs doing a metal band thing and it's it's kind of what the chihuahua <laughs> yeah, sounds like yeah, it is, it is. On that. i love that video actually i love the uh video of the dogs doing the metal yeah right uh, there's a slayer one out there that's awesome nice uh, yes i mean i love that stuff uh, <laughs> metal is uh it's near and dear to me because it's uh just pure adrenaline just pure bah! Oh, yeah. Um okay, so Lair of the White Worm, uh Ken Russell. Um uh yeah, nineteen eighty eight. Uh, when an archaeologist uncovers a strange skull in a foreign land, the residents of a nearby town begin to disappear, leading to further inexplicable occurrences. That's I don't know best. I don't know about the foreign land part. I feel like they're they're in Scotland and I feel like yeah. uh Peter Capaldi's very Scottish. Yeah. And uh Hugh Grant is not. But uh, well, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, it's yeah, just, but it's yeah, it's almost like it was written by an American just cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to explain. Uh, so this yeah, is regardless. late cycle. Ken Russell. Um, yeah. By this point, he had uh, kind of uh, burned some bridges and many yeah. in well, multiple different countries. <laughs> Crested the hill, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And he he worked. He continued to work after this, but I think. Uh, for a lot of people, this might be, uh, well, somewhat of his last hurrah. I mean, he made a bit of a splash with horror, uh, which obviously yeah, had... Yeah, but that was more controversy than anything yeah, else. That yeah. wasn't... But if I you don't look think at, horror was ever held up as being anything no. um, cinematically no, you know, no, no, no. Uh, valuable. I just think Let's it was... Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think it was a, you know the title and, and the performance from Teresa Russell and all that kind of stuff. And I think it was, you know, just... It was transgressive just in title and, and content yeah. alone. Yeah. And he made a bit of a splash there. But he, uh, yeah, I mean, this is certainly far removed from the Ken Russell of the 70s with uh, the music lovers and the devils and even Tommy and Lissomania and all those things he did. Crimes of Passion, Altered States. But certainly some very Ken Russellian uh, moments <laughs> in this film. That was easy yes. to say, wasn't it? Um, uh, you picked this one, so I guess I'll go ahead and lead on it here. Um, if you like, yes. Uh, so this one's interesting cause you know, it's got Hugh Grant in it, which is yes. fun, uh, because you know, Hugh Grant would go on to be this kind of rom-com staple. But he, you know, here he's, <laughs> he's playing, he's playing a Lord. So he's upper crust. So here he's like, yes, yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes, we did kill the worm. Yes. Well, I am old Dampton. <laughs> yes. Uh, so you know what I should have played? I should have played the Dampton Worm song for this. Uh, See? Film. See, there I messed know. up there. But I, bet, I bet I would have a hard time finding that. What do you want to bet? Uh, yeah. But it is a fun kind of bar, kind of broguish. Hey! You know, it's kind of a thing. Um, so this might be the first film I think I've ever watched where jump scares are comprised of vacuum hoses and garden hoses. Um, obviously. Well, they're, they're dick <laughs> images. Yeah. There's a lot of dick imagery here. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, I think the reason why this movie's become a bit of a cult phenomenon in some ways, and not a, not a phenomenon in that everybody's running out to get it and see it, but 
in a way, I think, you know, I told you last week that this used to play at a local theater here, kind of like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. become a thing because the performances are very arch and very over the top, especially, God bless her, Amanda Donahue. Oh, she's she's fantastic. In oh, man, thing. she goes for it uh, full tilt. And when somebody yeah. goes for it in a Ken Russell movie, they really go for it. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's above and beyond. Yeah, and God bless her because it's, and I mean this in the best way, it's a brave and yet slightly embarrassing performance, but yeah. in a wonderful way. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, you you will never forget her performance if you see this movie. No, I don't think you will. Just her dancing, her uh, snake charming scene alone is like one of the great what the fuck moments. But she has <laughs> many a moment in this um, that I'm sure screen grab wise has haunted her her whole career. <laughs> You know, uh, there's many dildos, uh, many, yeah, m- yeah. much phallic Dude, imagery. I was, I was amazed uh, because this is the first time that I noticed that there seems to be an awful lot of dildo-shaped objects laying around this thing. I mean, all you really should be surprised by any of it. No, all things considered. But at the same time, yeah, I was, I was really, I was taken aback a little bit by yeah. just exactly how many dildos you could. It's almost yeah. like with a Where's Waldo of dildos. Yes, uh, in this movie, and I think it's interesting that he. He you know he did this in The Devils a little bit. He does this in a lot of his movies actually. You know where he finds some type of sexual imagery and he kind of sticks mm-hmm. with it. And phallic imagery has always been a big thing for Russell. Um, he's always had it in his films. If you go back and look at any of his stuff, but here he's kind of you know obviously you got a layer of the white worm in the title. Yep. So right off the bat, you can be very immature and say, okay, what's a white worm? <laughs> mm-hmm. But. You know, Russell's going to, you know, he's going to outdo you uh, with his his imagery. You're, you're going to get phallic imagery and things you wouldn't even notice. Yeah. Um, everything well, down to even like, you know, eating noodles. Uh, well, I don't think they're noodles. I think they're some type of worm. Earthworms. Uh, there actually is earthworms. Yeah, yeah. Pick, pickled earthworms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everything. Uh, garden hose, like I said, the vacuum hose. Yep. Uh, just about anything you can imagine that is phallic, he pretty much tries to fit into here. And... It leads to some fun Ken Russellian moments, uh, to say the least. <laughs> um, yeah. So <clears throat> I had to clear my throat. So uh, let me clear my throat. So, yeah. um, but it's it's fun to see some of these actors so young as well. I mean, Ken. Yeah. I mean, Hugh Grant looks like he's almost a child, and Peter Capaldi. Forget about Dude, it. Dude, it's almost unrecognizable. <laughs> you know, know it's it, it's yeah. I mean, this movie is aside from. Aside from the uh, the obvious illusions that it, it draws, is that you know it's probably best known for introducing the world to Hugh Grant. Obviously, yeah. that one, and arguably uh, one of the best Doctor Who's, Peter Capaldi. Um, yeah, and I think that beyond that, uh, because yeah, they are. I mean, dude, Capaldi. It took me a second there to to realize it because when his name came up in the credits, I was like, holy shit, he was in this. That's right. Um, but then to, to see him with the long hair and the kilt and everything else, and you're yeah. just like, holy shit. Yeah, and the youth. I mean, you just see it on him. I mean, it's just, you know, he's probably mid-30s, early 40s here. Oh, I don't even think he's that old. He might not be. He might be younger than that. I don't know what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's also this movie also reminds everybody that, you know, Bram Stoker wrote stuff besides Dracula. Yes, yes. and but Even though it's never it's never brought up in the conversation. Yeah, he would have been, he was born in 58, um, so 30 something. So 30. Yeah, 30. Yeah, he would have been 30 yeah. years old. So, yeah, wow. He was young. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Um, 
it's hard to believe him being that young because I'm just so used well, we to seeing him as we could, this... we could say that he's young now because, you know. Yes, we could the, say that. <laughs> the ass end of, uh, of yeah. 40s. Yes. Uh, yeah. Who are we to judge? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shame on us. Um, <laughs> uh, sitting around here with on our highfalutin, uh, you know, here we are, man. We're, we're young. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, he I sound ran. more like fucking Thurston Howell than I do like Hugh Grant, so I'm just going to stop. Yeah. Hugh Grant, uh, he's uh, he's born 1960, so he's getting up there, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. He's, he's aged remarkably well. He has. He has. And, uh, you know, he's trying different things nowadays. He's trying to get yeah. away from the Hugh Grant performances. And I don't knock Hugh Grant for what he's done. I think he... I've always liked him. Yeah, sure. and I think... I've liked everything that he's done. Yeah, and I think he's he made a nice career for himself in a genre uh, that, you know, he... If, if I'm him, I would have rode that uh, chariot all the way to the bank, too. And uh, yeah. he did. And well, uh, Maybe not Mickey Blue but... Yeah, maybe not that one. But uh, certainly, you know, I enjoyed most of the films he's been in. They're always, they're very breezy. They're usually, you know, screwball comedy. They're very safe. But uh, sometimes you feel like a movie like that. Mm-hmm. Very white bread, too, for the most part. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I enjoy stuff like that sometimes. Uh, you know, I miss, it's funny to think about missing romantic comedies. You think about it, that's a genre that's all but dead right now. Yes, it is. And uh, I never thought well, that would be the you case. Can't have shit exploding in it. No, that's right. I mean, it's all but dead right now. I mean, there's just really no romantic comedy films anymore. They've they tried a few. Ryan Reynolds tried a few things. Uh, I guess uh, Hugh Jackman tried a few things toward the end. Well, McConaughey there. and Hudson were yeah. kind of that was like the last yeah. gasp. Yeah, McConaughey uh, tried little, something. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's a dead genre now. It's a, you know, it's there's so many genres that are dead, but. If you'd have told me the romantic comedy would have died, I would have been like, "No, it'll be a while before that one goes away." But it's the screwball romantic comedy is is gone. Anyway, uh, I'm sure it's still being made somewhere, probably the Hallmark Channel Um, or India. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, definitely there. It's weird how controversial a lot of Russell's stuff was, uh, and he's always kind of remembered for the controversy of the devils. And I think that's because it's such a commentary on religion and some of the ridiculousness of religion and imagery and, and belief that a lot of his films are forgotten for all their other controversies and their craziness. Like, uh, you know, Tommy's got some pretty shocking moments in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Listomania has some bizarre, crazy moments. Altered States gets insane. And yeah, I, yeah. I'm saying all this because this also has some montages in it that could be labeled as quite controversial. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's at least two montages in here that uh, kind of feel like those dogs singing thrash metal, but also <laughs> feel like uh, he is trying to offend people. It does kind of feel like uh, it's a big old fuck you, yeah, to a, uh, the entire world, yeah. yeah. And it's it's full of Catholic imagery and yes, yeah. oral satisfaction with phallic imagery and all that yep. stuff. It's it's all here again. And uh, it's it's funny to see that now because you know eighty eight, it wasn't as big a deal as it was in seventy one, uh, which I think is when the Devils came out. Uh, obviously, it's a different world from seventy one to eighty eight, so things have changed. So even Ken Russell has a harder well, but time. Certain, with- certain certain things hadn't, and there was still certain. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sensitivities. Yeah. Sure. Let's say. Yeah. Uh, that uh, that he was not uh, not above. Uh, Picking at the scab, 
So similar to you say that. So similar to Cronenberg, one of the things I've always loved about Russell is he criticizes how serious we take things. Uh, yeah, yeah, in a way, yeah. yeah. He he's not going to hit you with the seriousness of a situation or the reality. He's hitting you with how he, I, in my opinion, how ridiculous he thinks it all is. Uh, maybe not in the way you would think, but I'm just saying, you know, he's not saying religion's a bad thing. Obviously, he grew up probably religious in some re- regard, but I think he always was challenging the system of belief. Maybe not just in God, but in anything. Well, I think that a part of it is he's always been, he's always not been able to suffer hypocrisies is more, I think what he's, what he's been getting at, um, this sort of, you know, this, we have this seriousness about sex. We have this seriousness about religion. We have this, but at the same time, we're doing all this shit that's, you know, that we would never tell anybody about. We're doing all this shit that, that flies in the face of, um, what I'm saying that I believe in, um, and I think that that's kind of what he what he pokes at a lot with yeah. the, when he gets into his more wild wild stuff. Well, yeah, I think he likes absurdist, you know, literature, absurdist things. I think he likes, you know, the transgressive himself, and so I think it kind of comes through. I know I had read that he was trying to go for a bit of an Oscar Wilde type of feel. So an Oscar Wilde was somebody that pushed boundaries as well in English English yeah. literature at the time. So. I think he was kind of going for that. You know, interesting yeah. bit of trivia I saw on IMDb that Tilda Swinton was originally cast as Lady Sylvia Marsh. Really? Let me tell you. That would have been really interesting. Yeah, let me tell you that Sammy would have fallen apart if that would have been the case. <laughs> Not that I have any problems with Amanda Donahue. I think she's really, really good in the movie, and God bless her, because like I said, she really goes for it, and she's completely and totally memorable in her role. And it's 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 something to behold. I mean, it really is. And, and I think Tilda Swinton would have given it a certain different type of flair. But and you know, obviously, there's a part of me that would have loved to have seen those scenes with Swinton in them. But yeah, I think it would have been a different movie. I think it would have been too. But she's really good. Man, like I said, she's really really good in the movie. Uh, again, we're kind of dealing with taboo here a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. She at some point picks up a hitchhiker who arguably mm-hmm. could be underage. Uh-huh. Uh so we're dealing with some taboos here again and uh pushing of boundaries uh sexual and uh societal obviously and that's another thing that uh Ken Russell never shied away from. The movie for as graphic as it can be, it's also kind of ridiculous in some ways and kind of non-graphic. It's it's strange. There's a scene I think in uh, real late in the film where a character's tied up and you know you would think why not just be completely nude at that point uh, Mm because you're talking about a Ken Russell movie, but everybody's wearing lingerie and stuff except for one bare-breasted actress. I won't say any, I won't give away any details here, but I'm just saying it seems to me like Russell, he's the kind of director who's just going to go for it. And uh, I'm kind of surprised at how tame in a weird way. Yeah, it's, it does, uh, you know, okay. So yeah, we, we talked about, yeah, Mark Donahoe, she does have this, really marvelously playful sexuality uh that mm-hmm. she and russell played at the hilt but you know and go, uh, getting back to the um the scene with the, the the boy scout you know it's really interesting not only for the seduction um but, but it's it it is more chaste than we might expect in a russell movie it is from him you know if yeah, there was anybody yeah, yeah. else i'd say wow this is insane but uh 
for him, it's 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 not nearly as insane as you would think. Now it has its moments. Like I said, it has these montages and it has yeah. some really well, no, great it, moments. It plays up what it needs to play up, but yeah. at the same time, I mean, it really doesn't. It doesn't. It's almost like that's the dessert. Like that's the main yeah. course yeah. to this sort of appetizer that he's playing around with, and everything else that surrounds those uh, those weird scenes. And I think I told you in a message because I had watched this like after you picked it. I think I watched it Sunday night, or you know, we record on Sundays, and I think I watched it that night, or I watched it the next day. Anyway, I told you, you know, revisiting. I was like, wow, this movie is just fucked up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And but in in some of the best ways possible, not in a you know a truly bizarre Ken Russellian way. I mean, I think Tommy and Listomania and a few other things uh, really kind of hit the real psychosis of Ken Russell, but it's still enough Ken Russell that I really enjoyed it. And I think the story's fun. I mean, I think it's a simple kind of legend story. Yeah. Uh, It's got some great locations. I think they shot some of the exteriors on that uh, place called Thor's Cave in uh, England. Yeah, it's a great looking uh, set. I mean, it's an amazing looking kind of hole in the side of the earth. I don't know what it looks like today, but it, it's quite wonderful. And some of the effects, as kind of cheesy and rubbery and 80s as they are, they're really quite wonderful. Yep. Uh, the long fangs, the snake-like fangs, uh, the simplicity of the kind of theatrical snake makeup of the, uh, the Amanda Donahue character is really striking and makes her look wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, the tanning bed's a weird, uh, weird moment. Just because, I love that. <laughs> I know. It's just kinda, I thought it was great. It was. It is. It's. It's just so strange that it's there. It's like she's why is she tanning? I don't understand. But anyway, it works. And the way she kind of talks to the Catherine Oxenberg character, and who is actually the daughter of uh, Yugoslavian royalty in real life, and oddly is in a documentary I'm watching on HBO called The Vow. She's in that because her daughter is in some type of cult thing, and she's in there trying to get her daughter out of this cult. What, for, in real life. Oh, it's not. It's not a documentary. It yeah. is a documentary. <laughs> yeah, the vow. Yeah, it's a documentary. Okay, so okay, oh, yeah. that's fucked up. Yeah, it's about that Nexium guy, that Ken Keith for Keith Rainier guy, the guy that had the sex slaves going on with the girl from uh, Smallville okay. and all that stuff. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, she's in that, and I was like, when she popped up in this, I was like, wow, that that girl looks familiar, and I'm like, oh, what's well, in a weird bit of it's a small world. Uh, she's in this documentary I'm watching as well. And she was married to Casper Van Dien, and uh, I remember seeing her with Casper Van Dien sometimes because uh, he had a you know a brief moment of stardom. Yeah, and he also he's another one. He didn't he have a a, a reality show? Yeah, I think or so. Was he on a reality show? I think so. Maybe I, I can't recall. I mean, I pretty much was done with him. I mean, uh, not, after Starship Troopers. Yeah, right after Starship Troopers, he really didn't kind of take any of that on anywhere. I thought maybe no. he would. I, I didn't think he'd be a big star, but I thought he'd be. A bit of a bigger star than he is now. He's kind of just a, uh, you know, unfortunately, he's a straight to video kind of action guy. Uh, I think, yeah. uh, but not in the best way possible. Anyway, back to this movie. Uh, it's a very simple story, and I think that's what I appreciated about it. And you know, it just gets its Ken Russellian type moments mixed in, and it's it's very. Uh, I love the, her mansion. I love that the bathroom that she kind of uh extenuated this this boy in i love that uh, it's (laughs) i love that it doesn't look like it fits the mansion at all because the rest of the mansion seems kind of ramshackle in comparison i also love that she doesn't just spray venom i mean she squirts it (laughs) yep 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 (laughs) which is also very pornographic and very ken russell 
Also uh, very uh, in a phallic sort of way. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's it's very important that this stuff happens. And and when I said earlier in the show, the intro that our films, our filmmakers are very similar. I mean, both movies are, you know, pushing. Uh, taste in a societal form that you know things we don't talk about things that are actual realities that we just don't yeah. talk about now there is no snake women uh dancing around unfortunately in the real world but uh you know phallic imagery snake squirting venom i mean come yeah. on doesn't take a you know yeah there's a lot going on here and and this is you know to say that russell is slightly less um subtle with subtext is i think putting it mildly oh god and let me let's let's just talk about that airplane scene for lack of yeah, subtlety. Right? <laughs> Dude, that is some of the least subtle stuff in the movie, funny enough. Uh, and you know, although you know, dude, it does give us you know some little a little cat fight, you know, Oh right? man, I love but dude, that dude, airplane that, scene. That shot, that shot where he's got the pen. Yes. And he's he's lifting it up as he's watching he's these got two it. go at it. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? And it's got a red tip. The uh, yeah, right? the pen does. Uh, we got to make sure we <laughs> It is so Ken Russell and so on the nose, but also so wonderful. Out of context, that scene is total what the fuckery. Like yeah, you have yeah. no idea what is going on, and I love every second of it. Yep. Uh, yeah, it is yeah. it is such a wonderfully bizarre little moment in a overall bizarre film, and <laughs> it, it's it's playing with uh, simple horrific elements. Uh, I think when Stoker wrote the original story, I think by that point he was already quite ill from if i remember i think it was bryce disease that he died from i don't know uh, i think that was what it was called i don't remember what bryce disease is off the top of my head but anyway he was suffering from that uh when he wrote the uh the story of the white worm and the kind of uh the hampton worm or whatever they called this legend uh dompton dompton not hampton that's right the dompton worm and uh you know it, it feels like a bit of a fever dream and it feels like, a, you know, even from Ken Russell, even though it's dialed back Ken Russell in some ways, it still has these kind of feverish moments. And I think what I've always appreciated about Russell is his kind of feverish filmmaking. I can't imagine what it must be like to be on a Ken Russell set back in the day. And him say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to squirt this milk-like substance into your mouth from this phallic-like thing. It has nothing to do with sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, sure. Uh, and we're we're gonna give you an enema with uh, with the cross. We're gonna do this. I need you to sit nude on a statue of Jesus Christ. You know, you're asking people for some some big gives. You know. Yeah. Yes, you are. And I just feel like you know I can imagine there's probably some pretty great stories behind the scenes here too of him asking Amanda Donahue to do some pretty crazy things. And yeah, but she looks, she'd be she's like game for it though. Obviously, I mean, she really goes for it in every way, shape, or form. I just can't think of. I, it's one of those performances where I couldn't imagine anybody else in it now. Like it's that yeah. it's that kind of special, and I think all Ken Russell films offer unique experiences, and this one's no exception. Uh, and it's got a hell of a finale, uh, in yes. my opinion. It's just an insane finale. It's like everything is all this craziness is building up. Uh, this kind of mystery is it's all kind of building up, only to kind of smack you in the face with its chaos and craziness and uh it doesn't I, in my opinion it doesn't disappoint i think it's a wonderfully uh i don't know what the word i'm looking for uh it, it's wonderfully kind of captured the chaos of mm. ken russell's imagination 
And it's something that he was, uh, you know, very good at doing. Uh, he just yeah. maybe better than some filmmakers ever could have been. I mean, he just, I think he, he just pushed things that much further than most filmmakers could, um, in a weird way. And I, I don't, I don't know how I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words because I don't always know what to say and how to say it when it comes to Russell, other than just kind of bombastic. I mean, as you said, Bacchanalian. I mean, that might be yeah. the best word. It's very, it's very Rome at the height of its glory. It's very, well, I think that, I think that responding to Russell from your gut is the best way to go at it because, you know, he's, he has that effect and that's kind of what he's going for in the first place. Yes. It's, you know, in that same sort of way, I mean, yeah, compare him to Cronenberg as being, you know, very visceral, very primal sort of, uh, filmmaking in a lot of ways, even though, yeah, he's also got a lot, he's got a lot of themes going on. Um, in his work. I mean, he, he still is, you know, able to do that. He's able to give you a whole lot of stuff there. And like I said, less subtly, uh, than somebody like a Cronenberg would be, but at the same time, absolutely able to deliver it, uh, and deliver it well. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, why you can, you can absolutely, you know, I think that it's appropriate to, to respond that way because it, it's so difficult to categorize because it, it almost feels, it almost feels like, uh, Oh, you know, you're, you're in a whirlwind, uh-huh. uh, sort of, I guess, yeah. uh, while you're watching these things, because it, there's so much coming at you and it's so, you know, it, because the, the transgressiveness of the images that you're seeing, you know, kind of like hit you so hard that it takes you a second to register. And by the time you're registering it, you, you've gone like three <laughs> images ahead. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, you really just kind of have to, to, to run with it, uh, as best you can. Well, that, that's a good uh, way of putting kinda, it. And then just kind of, you know, ponder it in, in the, uh, after it's, it's, you know, after you're kind of spent, so to speak. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it because you, when you think about the, the montages in here, the way he kind of hitches with these montages, you're two or three more scenes into it, and you're like, I can't believe what I just saw. Yeah, right? You're still <laughs> thinking about, wait, 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 what? Yeah, what did I just see? Am I sure yeah, that yeah. I saw what I thought I saw? Yeah. <laughs> so it's very yeah, interesting absolutely. to me. It's very it's very bizarre that way. And I think that's Ken Russell in a nutshell, though. I think he, he really likes to I, – I think he's the kind of filmmaker who really wanted people just to talk. And just to kind of question our belief in story, our belief in religion, our belief in these things we create. Mm -hmm. And he wanted us talking about that kind of stuff. I think he just wanted to challenge us. And uh, I think he did it quite well. And I think he does it with a very overall kind of arch sense of humor that was very unique to Ken Russell. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was kind of naughty in that way that British humor can be, where you're not supposed to talk cheeky. about these things. Yeah, yeah. cheeky, yeah. yeah. You know, these things are talked about behind closed doors, and he would just kind of open the door, you know. He, he seems to me like he would have been the kind of man that if you went over and knocked on his door, he would answer the door nude and see how you would react to that. Yeah, just to see. <laughs> just to see, you know. And he's not showing you anything you hadn't seen on a thousand other people or a million other people because we're all kind of built the same, but he's challenging you to address it. And I think it's something Cronenberg does as well. They they challenge you to address these things. Anyway, yeah. to get back to the movie, it was a really nice revisit. I can see now why it's kind of grown in, in this kind of, uh, uh, you know, cultish way. Mm-hmm. But it certainly has those aspects to it that make it very cultish. And I I mean, I, I would recommend it to folks, especially if you love Russell. But I'll kick it over to you talk about it a little bit. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm going to probably, well, I'm probably going to retread a few things here, uh, that you've already gone over. Um, it's great. I think that our hero, the archeologist, uh, Capaldi, you know, he has a dig set up basically in his girlfriend's backyard, like a 10 year old, uh, or, you know, maybe she just acts like his girlfriend because the chicks in this movie are all giddy as, as all get out. Um, <laughs> yeah. and the, the characters overall, I think act much younger, uh, than they are, but I think it's for a reason because the movie, uh, I think, or at least as much as Russell is interpreting a uh, Stoker story, um, I think it's about, you know, well, to some degree or another, and this is where I kind of get highfalutin, uh, is, you know, it's about virginity a little bit and loss of it or taking of it. Uh-huh. Uh, and you could see there, uh, the correlation to Dracula, at least from the Stoker side of it. Yeah. Well, so you can also have... see it with the, the keeper of the worm, right? She is yeah, yeah, yeah. almost like uh, the Renfield. Well, not like the Renfield character, but you know, no, there's... she's, yeah, yeah, I guess kind of Renfield ish, right? Well, she would kind of be like be James Mason to uh, Barlow. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I like that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, to to have everyone acting youthful and innocent kind of fits in. Kind of like how, this is how I thought of it when I was watching the movie this time out, uh, how Argento plays Suspiria uh, as if his characters are all 13-year-old girls. Uh, and I thought that was kind of an interesting take. I mean, obviously it doesn't stand up 100% throughout the entire movie, but I think that it's, it's there, uh, at least uh, in initial thought form mm. um so the movie has this kind of uh quater massian uh setup nigel neal sort of uh setup that i gravitate towards in horror movies with something odd popping up yeah uh the most normal of places you know upsetting the balance of things uh and then having it connect into other stuff uh along the way uh which i really really like you know um because you get you grant you know, he shows up with that haughty, charming, you know, way that made him famous. But he brings in the mythology, right, as the ancestor of Lord Dompton, um, that starts to, you know, it starts to tie everything together. Um, so you, you have that meeting of of uh, myth and reality and which is which and why is it there and, you know, when is it, why is it coming back now and all that sort of thing. Uh, and that, I think this also helps bring, uh, well, it helps Russell bring uh, the element of, uh, like sexual repression uh, in, you know, with the appearance of Donahoe's character and the worm itself, you know, because the first time we meet her, the Donahoe character, she's dressed all in white. She's wearing a tricorner hat and she's sucking snake venom out of a bite, yeah. uh, which I think it should be noticed, uh, noted here that uh, she swallows, not spits uh-huh. uh, in that uh, particular aspect. But I'm bump bump. Well, I like that too. I, love- I like that, you know, it's misleading, right? She's all in white and then later on she's all in black. I mean, it's not, yeah. Again, it's not, it doesn't take a, a therapist to figure out what Russell's going for. No, but it's fun. It's fun watching. It is fun, yes. Uh, you get Dexy's Midnight Ravers uh, at the hoedown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Singing right? about the Dampton Worm. Aye. They look they look just like Dexy's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, except I think there was only like three or four of them. Maybe I should have played Dexys that. Whereas Dexy's Midnight Runners were like 12 people. Should have played a little Come On Eileen. Get it? Yeah, right. Ooh, well, I lift the bird dress and I come on her breast. Uh, so, oh. <laughs> didn't you ever hear that version? Yeah, oh, I don't know if I heard it. May have seen it. <laughs> A few thousand times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Brazzers, huh? Excuse uh, so, me? Uh-huh. Uh, so, as Russell movies go, uh, I think that this one is actually one of the more normal or easily accessible ones for the most part. 
you know, it certainly bears his uh, his weirdo fingerprints quite heavily. Um, you can look at the movie in a far more straight straightforward uh, horror sort of way. Uh, you can look at it as a devil or pagan monster movie. Uh, and this is, you know, clear in the moment when uh, the Don Ho character spits venom on the uh, crucifix, because that leads into, obviously, as we've been talking about, some very, very Russell-esque imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Eve character, which, you know, note the name, Eve, which I'm kind of surprised that there wasn't a character named Adam as well, um, touches it and sees some, you know, pretty wild stuff. Uh, and so you get you get Russell's, uh, his penchant for uh, demented crucifixion visuals. Yeah. Uh, nuns getting molested, which oh, he yeah. loves having on... Uh, Happening yeah. in his movies, he does uh, all that sort of thing. The, those seems to be like the two, the two ones that stand out the most. Yeah, uh, I don't <laughs> know why, but it is. Um, but uh, this leads into uh, giving us this great seduction scene uh, when you were talking about uh, when Don Ho's on the tanning bed, and it's you know it's just fantastic the way that she does this. Um, and you know all of uh, Don Ho's seduction scenes are uh, are really good because she just she. She really sinks her teeth, you know, pardon the pun, uh, into this role so well. Um, like getting back to the uh, the Boy Scout scene, uh, I love how you know it 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 actually fleshes her out in uh, a pretty elegant and uh, effective sort of manner. Like you know when she starts to dance to the boys' harmonica playing, right, mm-hmm. and she like catches herself. Um, I love that. It's a it's a great little moment, and yet she knows exactly how to get what she wants out of most men. Uh, and then that plays into this, you know, this whole emasculation angle going on in the film as well. Yes, yes. Um, so the characters themselves, I don't think, are anything really to write home about. I think that they are, they're serviceable enough. Yeah, uh, to the for, legend. For what ends they yeah. serve. Yeah, they serve to the legend of the story. That's right. Right. And I think that in less capable hands, uh, they could be practically forgettable. Yeah, well, I mean, the um, most memorable character in the movie totally is the Donahue character. I mean, right. Well, that's what that's what I'm getting at is that you know this allows Donahue, uh, who I think is very much the thing is mo- that Russell is most most interested in. Uh, she's certainly the thing I was most interested in. Uh, you know, it allows her to stand out that much more distinctly by having them be so bland, uh-huh. uh, in a way. So, you know, things like the scene with, uh, with, um, you know, mom doesn't have a, a whole lot of impact outside of, uh, giving us some, some decently creepy visuals. Um, the, the movie does move a little bit on the slow side, I think, but I think that's because it's less concerned with story and characters again, uh, than it is with the uh, theme and visuals. And I think that you can get something out of it in a very standard, harsh sort of way. Like I said before, uh, you know, if you really, really wanted to, but I also don't think you'll be, I don't think you'll be fully satisfied if you go into it in that regard. And I think that's kind of why it tanked in the first place. Uh, because mm. I think it made less than half of its yeah. Uh, yeah. budget back yeah. uh, when it was initially released, give or take. Uh, because I think that Russell is, it feels to me like he's trying to serve two masters here. Uh, so he splits the difference, and I think that that makes it a bit more difficult to hold in high regard. Um, that being said, um, the last uh, 30 minutes or so do a solid job ramping things up. They give us some really wild stuff. Uh, they give us a lot of fun, and I think that you know that's why this thing has the status that it has uh, at this point in time. You know, the actual worm that we get uh, when we when we see it is great. It's cheap. 
uh, and it's fun and rubbery and, you know, everything that it needs to be. Uh, and, you know, the, f- the finale really works in giving the Donahoe character a great send-off. Uh, that being said, I also really kind of, it stood out to me how much uh, the Grant character gets undercut here, surprisingly. Um, because he really just doesn't, I, is it, I don't know if it was just me and I, or I was missing something, or, but he really doesn't have a hell of a lot to do. No, uh, in the ending. No, no, no. He's actually. It's, it almost feels like it almost feels like there were scenes that were cut. Yeah, he's not. Uh, he's non-existent. Not, I don't know. Yeah, he's non-existent yeah, yeah. in the ending, actually. Yeah, it's almost like he's he. Everything else is going on, and he's uh, running a field trip. Yep. <laughs> um, which is just weird. Yeah. But uh, that being said, then you know, I I I'm not a hundred percent sure how I feel about the final couple scenes between Capaldi and Grant. Uh, it's a little cheap. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. but not horrible. Um, no, no, no it, 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 it just doesn't seem to quite fit with the with everything else that that, that came before. Yeah, it feels like an an, an addendum more than uh, than a flow uh-huh. from uh, from what's come before this thing. I agree, but I like this movie, and I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm happy that I got it in there, um, because I'd been uh, I'd been wanting to for a while. I've been wanting to revisit it for a while. It's one that always kind of lurks in the in the background, and especially in Russell's uh, filmography. I haven't watched The Devils probably since I was in college. Christ. Um, but, uh, but this one, yeah, uh, I've always liked it. I, I think that, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a recommend, uh, if you want to get introduced to, uh, to Russell in the first place, either this or altered States, I would say, uh, are probably his two most, uh, accessible movies. Yeah. Unless you're, um, unless you're a who fan. And even then I would well, say, unless you're, well, yeah, no, that's Tommy's that, that. insane. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's a bit too much chocolate and peanut butter. Oh, yeah. um, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but that's pretty much all that I have on this thing. We've, we've covered pretty much everything there is to do. There's, I mean, there's a lot of peepees in this thing. There's a lot of peepee imagery. Oh, yeah. A lot of <laughs> I just like seeing that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's all the way through it, man. Uh, between the the, uh, the Catholicism and the dicks, uh, there's a lot to uh, to digest with this movie. Uh, if you want to, but uh, I mean, like I said, you can get a little bit out of it uh, if you just go into it for looking for a horror movie. I don't, but I don't think it's as satisfying then. Yeah, uh, I don't think it would be satisfying if if Russell hadn't um, ramped up and played up everything that he plays up in this thing. Right, right. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with everything you say. Um, I'm going to go. Let's see. We'll do make or breaks here. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you're done. <laughs> I, I feel like I got that cue. Um, uh, make a break, man. It's a tough one. There's a lot of great scenes in this. Uh, I really like the scene, <laughs> uh, of Donahue. I know you call her Donahoe, Donahue, Donna. I'm, I'm hearing Donahoe, tiny bubbles. Um, <laughs> oh, tiny bubbles in the wine. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to go with the scene of her snake dancing across the pavilion there. Okay. Uh, okay. it's weird and awkward and mm-hmm. awesome <laughs> and uh i think if you're in if you're in, if you're into that you'll be into the whole movie yeah if that turns you off then you need to go ahead and turn it off because <laughs> it's only going to get weirder there's a lot of great moments in the movie though the airplane scene and some of these montages are insane um MG, mvt i'm gonna go with uh i could give it to russell but i think it's donahue's show um because I think it's just a truly outstandingly brave performance. Uh, she really lets it all hang out, uh, literally. Totally. And uh, I think uh, I should give it to her because I doubt I'd ever be able to give it to her again. Russell, I'm sure I would be able to give it to again. So 
Um, yeah, it's it's an amazing performance. It's a standout. I mean, it's it's in some ways so over the top. Even Nick Cage would be like, "What are you doing? You're going too <laughs> you're going too far." Yeah, Amanda, what are you <laughs> yeah. doing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you've gone too far. Um, my score for this film it's 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 higher than I think. Uh, it sounded like when I reviewed it because I felt like you know I didn't really kind of get my enthusiasm out there. But I give this one an eight out of ten. I like it a lot. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, Good I really deal. enjoy it. Nice, nice, nice. Um, make a break for me. I'm gonna go with the first hallucination uh, scene. Uh, because I think that it definitely shows that you're clearly in Ken Russell territory now. Uh, and I think that at that point, it's either, you know, it's it's, it's that abandoned hope, uh, all ye who enter sort of moment uh, that you get in uh, in his movies. Um, and MVT, yeah, I, I got to go with Don Hall. Uh, she absolutely savors everything she gets to do here, and she does it very, very well. And, it, you know, uh, she's absolutely a delight uh every single time she's on screen uh throughout this thing she carries the movie more than the uh, the protagonists do um score for me i'm uh i'm lower than you are on this one um but i think that's only because like i said it's kind of it's a split the difference thing for russell on this one uh that it doesn't quite uh, live up to what it uh what it well i don't want to say could be because i don't know i think this is the maximum that it could be um but it it definitely maxes out its potential uh, mm-hmm. around a 7.25 out of 10 for me yeah um but still i mean rock solid and definitely one worth seeing in the in the russell filmography so certainly yeah man definitely uh okay that is the big show this week um we hope everybody enjoys as always um we already know what we're doing next week. You want to talk about what you picked? I picked uh, Lauren from 1989. I do believe it's West German uh, in nature. Yes. Uh, and it was a complete uh, blind pick. It was a complete throw a dart at the board uh, moment for me. Um, and yeah, looking forward to it. Nice, nice. I, know I have never of, seen it. It's kind of it's kind of like a gothic uh, thing. Yeah. I guess you could call it for those never of seen you it. who are interested in playing it along. Yeah. yeah, yeah, never seen it. So I'm looking forward to checking it out. And I am going uh, the other way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, completely. Uh, and one I've been wanting to kind of discuss on the show. This is a pivotal film in my childhood because I I mm-hmm. managed to talk my uh, aunt into taking me to see it. Uh, we did this a couple, <laughs> me and my brother did this a couple times when we were kids. We saw easy money this way, the Ronnie oh, Dangerfield God. movie. We saw this, uh, uh, Mr. Mom, a couple other things. Uh, I, it was a vivid time in my youth, the early eighties. This is before some of the stuff. Anyway, uh, I'm picking the new bomb, uh, <laughs> from 1980 directed by one Clive Donner. Yes, it's about time we got Don, uh, little Donner on the show. Yeah, and we got uh, we're good, we'll whip out the Don Adams impersonations, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Yeah. I don't know what you mean, boss. Yeah, I'm sure it'll. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll come through. I'm sure in some way. All right, that's everything I got. Uh, with that, I will say, as always, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com